Welcome to episode 18 of the Hike or Die Outdoor Adventure Podcast. We're just about to enter into the second part of our interview with Andy Solushi, adventurer from Tasmania. Hey, Craig, do you remember when um, the second Matrix came out, mm-hmm. part two, mm-hmm. and it was a bit crappy? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's not what part two of this podcast is going to be like. Okay, go. <laughs> Hey guys, how you doing? Welcome back to another awesome episode. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Topo Maps Plus. Go deeper into the backcountry. It's a topographical map app that allows you to track your location even without cell phone coverage. And Craig, I actually have a really cool story about that later in the podcast. Are you excited? Yeah. Good? Good. (laughs) Uh, Thank you also, Rios Floating Polarized Sunglasses with 100% UV protection for the love of water. Hey, I also learned, Craig, what Rios means. I was looking it up the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's a Greek word meaning river current. And they pride themselves on this philosophy that no man ever steps in the same river twice, for it is not the same river and he's not the same man. Oh, that's cool. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, Bluey Merino, where our story ends, yours is just beginning. Australian superfine merino wool, bottom, mid, and top layer garments. They actually have a couple of new products they've just released recently, Craig, and I will talk more about that in Gear Talk. Okay. Last but not least, Caribbee, one of Australia's most well-known leading backpack travel and outdoor brands. They also supply us with our dry bags, waterproof day packs, and expedition bags. We have a sponsor for this particular episode today, and they are called tripoutside.com. Have you ever heard of them, Craig? No, mate, I honestly haven't. No, you wouldn't have heard of them because they have recently launched uh, what they're calling the fastest growing adventure gear rental website. What it is, it allows the customers to book outdoor gear online from the best local outfitters in over 60 of the top adventure destinations across North America. It allows you to compare the rental prices of some of the outfitters and also to book the gear through the website. You can visit them at tripoutside.com. Jump on Instagram, follow the guys, jump on Facebook, say good day, tell them where you heard about it. Very good. Thanks, guys. All right, Craig. How you been, mate? Oh, mate, I'm doing great, thanks. Doing really well. Feeling feeling good. Feeling good. Well, that's all right. Yeah. Uh, you haven't... You've Yeah, you've been all right. Well, we haven't spoken for a few weeks, but... Um, yeah, well, I think last time I was, I'd just been, you know, feeling a bit sick. And now yeah, that's right. For once, I'm feeling like 100%. Kind of, yeah, I was a little bit used to you kind of complaining every episode. So I'm bloody always sick. I'm, I'm in shock. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, you've got a piece of your face missing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I was hoping you wouldn't notice that. <laughs> well, it's not so much noticing, it's noticing what's gone. <laughs> uh, Craig just had a sun cancer cut out of the top yeah. of his nose. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, lost a bit of weight, mate. That's good. <laughs> Easy done. 
<laughs> went under the knife. I hope it doesn't make me look ugly. Well, I thought it was for cosmetic <laughs> reasons. <laughs> An improvement. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. I've got a, uh, what do you call it when you say something wrong? An amendment? Something like that. There's a better word for it. Uh, I was trying to explain a wooden um, cup in a previous episode. I'm not sure if it was the last one or the one before. And I was struggling to, um, to to say the word correctly. And I went back today and it's kuksa is what I was trying to say. It also goes by the name of guksi um, or in Swedish, Swedish it's a kasa. So, yeah, it's just a traditional um, wooden cup. Wooden cup. Yeah. It's a kuksa. Kuksa, yeah, that, that's the word I was trying to say, but I did not say kuksa at the time. Yeah. So for anyone listening in that last podcast or whatever it was, either saying, you idiot, that's not how you say it, or running around telling their friends they know this new word, then I apologize, kuksa is what I was trying to say. Mm. Um, now, here's a bit of a, um, a joining of a couple of podcasts. Do you remember our good friend Thomas Evum? Yeah, because he uses Sweden. something yes, like that. he does. I was going to say that. Exactly. Um, and he was telling us about the Sami people, which are kind of like these indigenous people that um, uh, live on the outskirts of civilization up there in Sweden. And when I did a bit of research today, the Sami people are actually from northern Scandinavia, used to carve them from a birch burl. Now, our good friend um, Josh would be going nuts right now because he loves a good burl. <laughs> a burl is when you get that kind of knot on the side of a tree. Yeah. And if you actually cut them off and grind into them, there's these amazing swirling patterns. Um, but the cooksa that um, Thomas had was from Eo, who are the um, Norwegian, where well, they make hatchets, they make cooksas, they make um, fantastic knives. Um yeah, they're really cool. All right. But I just love how all of those stories kind of, um, when I did a bit of research, they all mm. kind of joined back together. And I thought I would correct my wrong. Right. You've always got to correct your wrongs. There's no always doubt about it. Always got to correct my wrongs. I thought I'd said something wrong on the last podcast again. Mm. And I went back and checked my notes and, and I'd said it correctly. So there's only one correction today. Thank goodness. <laughs> 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 hey, mate, how about these bushfires? Oh, man, actually tragic. Yeah. Not cool. Not, Not cool. cool at all. We're getting smashed by it. It's coming into summer. In fact, I'd go as far as to say we're not even quite out of, we're only just coming out of winter. Mm. So we're only just in spring and we're getting the equivalent of what I would say would be serious midsummer um, bushfires. And they're not... Uh, far away from civilization, like you normally expect. Uh, you know, ever since I was a kid, you kind of hear about bushfires and they're way out in the country or something. But these are now pushing into to suburbs. Mm, and I thought you were, I thought you were moving towards, you know, the the heartfelt, you know, mourning for our beloved Binnaburra. Um Well, I wasn't, but um, yeah, that uh, it, when I first read the article, or a article. It um, said a popular eco-tourism resort, and I didn't even click that it would be Binnaburra, oh, but uh, then I saw it on the news and thought, oh, wow, that's not cool. Yeah, one of my most, one of my favorite places um, close by here, um, lush rainforest and a beautiful resort. It yeah, a resort just... that's nestled into 
to the uh, forestry, and I guess that's uh, that was their demise as well. Heritage listed buildings got yep. destroyed. I saw a, a um, photograph, and all that was left was the um, stone uh, kind of fireplace and chimney. Yeah, man. And I guess I guess um, that's something. Hopefully, they build back around that in some shape or form. I would like to think that it comes back stronger. Yeah, they're going to rebuild it. Yeah, so that's that's what when you said the fires, that was, that's where my heart went. But then, yeah, it's it's been shocking, hasn't it? It's been yeah, it's pretty brutal. And they're not many... just they're not small. Did you see the footage of um, a place called Perigian? Yeah, um, we're talking about a surfside town. Huge um, fire, and the it looked like so the footage was shot at night, and it looks like snow, except it was. Um, Mm. swirling embers. Uh, embers yeah and just blowing across the road like uh, it was crazy mm-hmm. so i've got um relatives up there and uh yeah thankfully that's all kind of simmered down today but it's um yeah i've also got a hike plan in a couple of weeks at lamington which is obviously where um binnaburra is that got taken out by the fire so mm. i've been keeping a close watch on that it's it's not going to take much um, rain or anything because it's a rainforest area to kind of put it back in the safe zone. But still, it's something I've got to keep an eye on. Mm. Yes. <clears throat> uh, what else have you been up to? Um, I was going to say that I um, got out for an awesome uh, little night out with my five-year-old son by the creek. Oh, I saw... Um I saw a photo of that. Yeah, open fire, mud crabbing, uh, open swag under the stars. Nice it was one. it was perfect, mate. We had a fantastic time, and yeah, I really am going to start making moves to ramp up all of our family adventures from now on. I think even this particular outing, it was like magic, magical. I think, and um, such a positive sort of experience for the kid, eh? Oh yeah, they they lap it up too. Yeah. I remember that time we took. Um, did I have all three of mine? I did, didn't I? Yeah. yeah I had all three and yep. you had you, just your just boy. Just one, just Elliot. And um, yeah, they love that stuff. Can't, can't get enough of it. I um, almost enjoyed it as much as going on adventures with you, mate. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I might be replaced. <laughs> if you're smart, you'll replace me. <laughs> uh, speaking about uh, hiking with kids. Oh, yeah. We did a little 2K trail run. Um, yesterday. All right. Yesterday, Arvo. Yeah. And you know how I've been walking barefoot and oh, stuff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did the 2K run barefoot down the trail. Okay. And it went really well. It's the weirdest feeling in one sense. Uh, you're ex- obviously extremely exposed and you do, your feet are sensitive and you'll hit little sticks and stuff and kind of mm-hmm. grimace a bit. But uh, the payoffs were were far beyond that. My feet were a little bit tender this morning, but it just felt right, and so it should, you know. Mm. Yeah, no, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to fulfil my, um, you know, the oh, request. because you've been sick. Well, yeah, but also I run at night, and you had asked me, for those who are new listeners, I've been testing my ankle, my left ankle, uh, for a little while now, hoping to um, build some strength in it. And Tom suggested that I run barefoot and see how my ankle uh, reacts and responds to that. And because I run 
late at night when it's dark, I was a bit concerned about taking my shoes off and running around. In, <laughs> that, that's in not dark. a bad point. <laughs> so, and it's wet and cold and stuff. So. <laughs> oh, gee, don't get your feet wet. <laughs> but luckily, luckily I found a chance at midday on a weekend and um, I'd just finished 5K and took my shoes off and ran around the um, AFL field. Oh, uh, yeah. Did a lap and it was, yeah, it was a big difference. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I was going to say it's kind of like getting out of Anna's car and then getting into my bumpy old Jeep. <laughs> it's sort of, you well, know, you feel the think, ground. Yeah, and I think that's part of the, well, first of all, I think it's part of the attraction, but I also think it's part of the inbuilt uh, mechanism that we have deliberately to slow us down so that, mm. for example, do you heel strike? Have I asked you this before? Do you heel strike? Yeah, I don't know how to answer that. Um, you can, you're not sure if you do? Or? I'm not sure. So when your foot lands, does, does your heel, do you really stretch that front leg out and your heel hits and then your ball of your foot comes down? Good question, mate. I'd have to study it. I mm. I do wear a little bit out on my heel, so I think I kind of bring it through. So you naturally, if you run barefoot, you cannot heel strike. Because the pain uh-huh. is so bad instantly that you couldn't heel strike for 20 meters because you'd, you'd have to stop. That so, might be why I was feeling uh, quite a little bit of jarring from the... Yeah. Mm. So what you need to do is... Up on your toes. Keep your, um, yeah, keep your legs under you instead of out reaching in front of you. Keep them under you and push backwards. Mm. That's the running style. That's why I asked you to take your shoes off. If you can adopt that running style, then put your shoes back on. Awesome. I think it's going to take the jarring off your ankle. Hmm. There's Dr. Tom here. I don't know jack shit about hmm. podiatry, but I've just noticed. <laughs> I've just noticed. A, uh, I just noticed that that you know. Well, put it this way: I just did a two k run on the trail with no shoes on. Yeah. And feel great today because. When it got to certain parts where the ground was harder, I'd automatically take shorter steps and lighter steps and slow down a bit because your feet are sensitive and they're saying, hey, don't don't run down that hill smashing your heels into the ground. Um, but when you protect the foot, you tend to get all these bad habits. Hmm. And I know there's going to be people listening just tearing their hair out going, that's not right. That's because you can't run properly. That's okay. Each to their own. It works for me. I love minimal shoes and mm. I enjoy feeling the dirt. I'd say it's a simple pleasure that as adults we uh, we miss. Think about how many people, <clears throat> as soon as they, so, so they don't live near the beach, as soon as they get to the beach, they flick the shoes or the sandals off and they want to feel that sand between the toes, mm. that's because we don't do it anymore. And uh, th- that's what it's like for me when I walk down the trail with no shoes on. It's it's enjoyable. Yeah, no, I did actually f- feel that it was, yeah, I enjoyed it for sure, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's good, Mal. Thanks for doing it. I'm glad you did it. I'm glad you didn't hurt yourself doing it. <laughs> Oh, well, the good news is, man, I've um, cured myself. I have seriously reached a point where I've got so much strength in that ankle now that it just, I don't know, the more I run, the better it gets. Yeah. So I've somehow um, worked through that injury or that 
issue. That's really good. Yeah, so it's, it's happy days. You remember my knee problems on my first Overland track, don't you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I would wake up in seething in pain just because I straightened my leg. And mm. Um, mm. I decided to spend a lot of time strengthening my legs. And in doing so, it seemed to strengthen everything around the knee. And I don't have knee problems now I'm running. It was, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, you used to wear a brace on I your knee. I used to wear a brace on my knee. Yeah. I've got two at home. I bought two brand new ones for the uh, second time I hiked, mm. thinking that, oh, by the time I get to third or fourth day, I'm going to need these knee braces. They sat in my pack the entire trip. It didn't happen. I'd done so much strength training and and weird kind of oblique stuff and uh, lunges and all this sort of stuff that's not symmetric all that. Mm. They're just so much stronger. Yeah, good on you, man. Yeah, no, it seems counterintuitive to kind of keep going, but that's what you <laughs> have weird, to it? do. Yeah. You, you should yeah. stop when it hurts, but no, you had to build that strength up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in a, a controlled manner, but yeah, it's good, man. I like it. I'm still not fit enough. <laughs> still got to get fit. Anyway, getting there. Uh, speaking of being fit enough, I, I did that hike. Yeah, how was it? Um. It was was fifty five kilometers over two days. Sorry, I didn't write down the um, miles, but thirty two point five kilometers one day, twenty two point five the second day. Mm. You know the funny thing, mate, is because it was only day packs, and we're used to having um, you know twenty twenty five kilo full packs. Yeah, I just wore um, my low cut uh, speed cross fours. Oh, yeah. I didn't even wear hiking boots. I just wore my mm-hmm. trail runners and had a 1.5 litre reservoir in my backpack with a few snacks. And, yeah, it was a long day and definitely felt a bit worn out at the end of it. But um, and the second day, yeah, I guess it was tough to get out of bed and go and do um, 22 and a half, which is just over a half marathon hmm. but um we all did it yeah we finished the team finished we raised over um i think we clocked up i don't want to get this wrong i think we thought we made nine thousand dollars for the leukemia foundation but when all the um everything was counted i think we clocked up over 10 hmm uh, which is pretty cool. That's great. That, yeah, that all goes straight to them. So. Perfect. Well yeah. done. Yeah, thanks, mate. It was it was good. But what I learned in that was, you think about these, you know, these um, uh, fifty kilometer and hundred kilometer races. Yeah. Yeah. And they <clears throat> they'll do the fifty kilometer over say um, twenty four hours sort of thing. All right. And I thought, well, hang on, I I walked. And took regular breaks with the team, and sat down and had lunch for twenty minutes, and we did that in thirty-two and a half k's in daylight hours. Okay. So what I'm saying is, if you go from thirty-two to fifty, it's not that much further, mm. and even at walking pace, you'd be able to complete that. Yeah. So, so I'm really starting to consider. Yeah this um uh, too late for it this year but there's a black hole 50 trail run next year 
around this time. So it gives me a year to get ready and it gives you a year to get ready. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just being a casual pace. Yeah, yeah, and we'll put it this way. If you know you can walk it, um, then if you're jogging parts of it, just to basically purely just to cut, okay. cut your time down. Yeah. I think it's doable. That That made me think that it's doable. Yeah, so those big numbers like fifty k or whatever, you think sounds you could, ridiculous. You couldn't enjoy that, but if you if you strip it back a little and and um, don't kill yourself, yeah. you could probably enjoy it. Well, when I did that half marathon on the trail, I did kill myself and I didn't enjoy it, and I tried to run as much as I possibly could, even uphill, uh, which in hindsight I think was a stupid idea, lack of experience. But I think on something like a fifty. Hmm. You could um, uh, just run the flats and downhills hmm. and walk the uphills and you would cut hours and hours off your time. Hmm. And you should be able to sustain it and you should be able to keep your you know, your calories up and your energy up. I never really thought of it that. No, no neither did I. So I'm pretty grateful for, for um, yeah, being a part of that for various reasons. Hmm. Hey, you know Richard uh, Matthews, our lovely uh, guest from episode 16? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, he's been quite busy. Uh, he's been all over the country in the UK doing his, uh, you know, guiding uh, young people in the wilderness and stuff. But mm. he also wrote a short story that has been published uh, as part of a book called The Bigger Book of Yes, 22 Short Adventure Stories. So there was originally this um, book called The Big Book of Yes, and uh, I'm assuming that came out a few years ago, but this one, The Bigger Book of Yes, has just come out, and he was asked to be a guest writer and write one of the um, 22 short stories. So Cool. Yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to jump on Amazon and get yourself a copy. Uh, he was a top bloke, and... I know a lot of you enjoyed that podcast, and he certainly did, and we certainly did. So, yeah, support that if you can. Uh, I actually want to get myself a copy of that one. That sounds good. Oh, we're just uh, cranking through it tonight, mate. I got a PSA. You know what a PSA is? Public service announcement. (laughs) The other day I was mucking around with my GoPro Hero 7 and realized that they've bought out... um, quite a significant update in the firmware so if you do own a gopro hero 7 um well this is probably a couple two weeks ago now but yeah jump on there the easiest way to do it is to go through the app on your phone and just go through the settings and just update the firmware and it'll just connect to the camera and do it all um i'll put a link to the gopro website which has step-by-step instructions i just thought i'd mention that because it it was a significant difference um for me have you done it yet no i did something with my gimbal the other day the um karma grip but i didn't yeah you should jump on it well even if even if just you do it then yeah it's been worth telling it (laughs) you know you could just send me a text about that i just sent you a text (laughs) i chose to do it on a a grand scale No, sounds good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just thought I'd mention it. I know there's a lot of adventure camera owners out there. Hey, did you see that video of that bison attack? I'm sorry to say it in a kind of laughing tone, but since nobody got hurt, it is a little bit funny. You know, I've heard about it a number of times, so there was a child involved too. <sighs> yeah, it was a kid. It was probably 
she's probably a bit about the age of your son, maybe just a year older. Really? And her parents are filming her um, going right up to this bison, and this thing is big. Like, it's bigger than a horse. It's like a full-grown bull. Like, it's yeah. massive, right? Right, And And she <laughs> ends up... It's a wild animal, and they go closer and closer and closer and closer, and then it just gets jack of having her, and it just kind of runs towards her and flicks her up in the air with its head, and thankfully she just lands in the grass, and everything's all good. Okay, so I'm not laughing about that, but what I did see was... um, That sounds hilarious. It is actually a little bit funny. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. We're going to get emails about that. That's I'll good. put them in the list. It's not funny. Uh, remind me, i got a story about an email too. Oh, yeah, another um, one? Yeah, yeah, no, the same one. Can you remind me of that? Oh, okay. Just write a note or something. I don't have a pen today. Uh, anyway, the Wilderness Society um, it has put, put together a really cool little meme. Um, not a meme, I don't know, just a just a little thing on their their Facebook page. And it's a wildlife petting chart. I, I put it, got a picture over there to show you. It's basically, you know how you see the, <clears throat> you see, um, it's basically divided up into sections, almost like when you see how to, how to butcher how to something. Butcher something. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's a, a silhouette of a bison and then it's cut up into sections. But it's got, um, like, for example, on the top of it, so it's a wildlife petting chart. On the top it says, nope. And then under its chin, it's got how fast are you? And then on its back, it's got think again. <laughs> under Anywhere under its belly is do you have insurance? <laughs> on its shoulder is vacation over. On the back is ouch and um, no. Uh, I thought it was a really clever way of pointing out something that a lot of us, you know, I guess let's call uh, people with some common sense, um, it would take for granted, but other people don't. I just thought that was a really clever way without, you know, laughing at um, the people like you just did before. Uh, that's something clever. I'll, I'll, um, I'm not sure if I can share that image on in the um, show notes, but I'll put a link to the Facebook page where it is or something. It's really cool. Well done to Wilderness Society. Yeah, don't pat the bison. Don't pat bisons or anything. Really, I guess. Uh, Should I remind you about oh, that email now, or uh, um, remind me when we get to um, shout outs? Okay, I'll make a little note of that then. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's good. Having you around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've I've specifically put um, I've specifically put my news in a certain order. So that I finish on a high, a happy note. Oh, good. Yeah, because um, yeah, you always have a go at me about that. But it's about to get nasty. There was a photograph of this couple who was scratching love hearts and stuff into this sandstone cliff. Um, it's a place called the Council Overhang and... Forgive me for not writing what state it is and everything. Um, oh, Illinois. A 425-million-year-old sandstone formation in this national park. It's been used for the last 8,000 years 
as a Native American gathering place. Mm. Beautiful sandstone kind of cliffs in a narrow gorge. These clowns have gone in and, and scratched. They've used a burnt stick and scratched love hearts and their initials and stuff. And, um, really? And then put pictures on um, Instagram and everything. Oh, they put pictures up themselves? Yeah. Yep. Oh, so clever. Yeah, there's one. That at the end of the article, it said police have not confirmed if the images are real or something like that. So I guess... Um, but they found the girl and now they're um, basically using her to find out who the guy is and question them. And obviously, I guess they'll go and check the location and everything. Mm. Really, I mean, sad is not even the word for it. I just can't. Oh, there's so many words that I can't say on this podcast that I want to use for people like that. Mm. Anyway. Um. I hope they get, you know, I hope justice is done. I hope they sort them out and I hope that maybe there's a way to, to restore that area or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's a bit of a downer, eh? Jeez, I wonder how, yeah. I mean, obviously it's going to have a huge impact on that site, but. Well, it's, you can't, you, can't, know, undo you it. can't remove it. You can't undo it. I mean, the best they could do is go to those small sections and kind of scrape it away a bit more to make it flat again or make it look kind of natural but it will have to be scraped out to be removed it's 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 uh, half an inch deep this carvings really yeah it's horrific i remember there was some crazy lady and i don't know if i mentioned it on the podcast about a year ago who was going around and painting on rocks and stuff at famous places and saying she was an artist and Mm. everyone was losing it because she's going into national parks and painting um on these rocks, imagine going to like somewhere like Girouin or something and some idiots painted on balancing rock or... Unbelievable. Yeah, but you do see it, eh? You do see clowns doing it like... You do see... Rocky Hole and stuff like that. Yeah, I think. yes, yeah, yeah. Just, even if that's just into some of the guardrails and stuff like that, it's, it's, it's all... Yeah. Yeah, but it, anyway. It takes away from the experience, uh, which perfectly dovetails into my next... Um, I found this article. You're going to love this article, Craig, yeah, because yeah. it's one of my rants. <clears throat> the title of the um, article, the headline, Conservationists Want You to Stop Building Rock Piles. Oh. Yes. <coughs> the, the cans. Yeah, the cans. That's what they're called. Oh. Yeah. <coughs> if you... I, I'm pretty sure... It was the Leave No Trace episode we did where I banged on about them, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm sure. I think even I'm a sure couple it was of times. Probably a couple <clears throat> of times. Um, I, I, I don't like it. Um, I did a bit of research on it today and cans is a, a Gaelic word that specifically means um, a pile of rocks uh, for directional navigation. So when these... Idiots go down and pile up rocks in a riverbed or something. Um, it, it just doesn't mean anything. It's not. It's not a can. It's just a pile of rocks. It, it disturbs wildlife. It disturbs nature. And what really frustrates me is when I get to a place that I've hiked half a day to get to, and everything's pristine, and then there's a pile of rocks. I think, well, 
it's not like I expected to be the first person there. I'm not that naive. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But it's about the experience of feeling like the environment <clears throat> is not is untouched, right? I think for me. Yeah. And so anyway, yeah, this article, I'll put a link to it, obviously. And then I was reading another article, coincidentally, um, on the Leave No Trace website. This is a pure coincidence. And they said that uh, in the U.S., somewhere in the U.S., there's this um, salamander called the Eastern Hellbender Salamander. It's got an epic kind of heavy metal name, which I like already. And it looks pretty cool. It can live up to 30 years and is often found under the same rock its entire life. Oh, wow. Yeah. How cool is that? That's cool. And they go on to say that on occasions where their rock is disturbed or flipped up or moved or something, you know, someone wants to make a seat or whatever, uh, it can really disrupt their their entire life. It's, It's literally like the house they grew up in. Oh, wow. That's crazy, yeah. I just love how those... I happen to read those at the same time. Yeah, it ties in. Yeah, it's high in. Yeah, so you're making notes. Are they notes for later or you've, you're just going to look up cool stuff later about that Eastern Hellbender salamander? <laughs> I must I must see this hell, salamander. Uh, <laughs> you need a tattoo of it across your chest, I reckon. No, I've got a, I've got a couple of reminders here. I do want to show you this picture I've got to go back to the Binnaburra fire. Oh really? Yeah, I don't. I when don't you wanna... say you've got, you've, I've got it right here, and I was going to show it to you before, and then I I forgot I had it. Have you seen that yet? Oh no, I haven't. Look at that. Yeah, so it's a before and after of exactly the same from the same position, same position. Looking up this, um, well, in the top picture, it's this beautiful little eco lodges with beautiful. Um, mm trees and ferns around them and in the second one it's, it's just, just a road with um substantially more trees than i expected to be left there but still it's desolate wow that's the big that's where we went and did you come were you with me that time we got the keys for that campsite that was from that building there oh i've stayed in there yeah, yeah i really i've never have but remember oh, right. we went into that main hall to oh, get the yeah, keys yeah yeah, that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, that's that beautiful yeah, big, that's gone, man. big hole. I think it's that's gone. where the only the fireplace stack of yeah. rocks. Yeah, yeah, it's really sad. That's a bit, that's not very cool. No. Anyway, where were you? Oh, I was going to get on to some good news stuff, Okay, mate. all right. Punch all right. out some good news. Let's do it. The, uh, there's a, there's a uh, website that I follow on Facebook. They're called Bush Heritage, uh, bushheritage.org.au. It's an Australian website. Uh, they, it's a conservation type website where they put a lot of time and effort back into um, looking after Australian wildlife. They set up um, trail cams and to basically just record, uh, you know, different movements of animals, learn what's about, learn about feral pests, all those sorts of things. Right? Mm. There's this. Um, uh, bird called an it's an alwal. Well, that's the um, <clears throat> Aboriginal name for it. It's a golden-shouldered parrot. Looks like that, Craig. 
Oh, cool. Pretty little thing. It looks like you got a um, um, just a black and white sheet of paper and said to your kid, "Hey, color in this parrot," and they've just grabbed every every single section. They've grabbed another pen to color it, <laughs> <laughs> different bright, ridiculously bright aqua color. Yeah. And you look at the picture and you go, "It's actually." It's not that great. You've got some improving to do in your coloring. But when you look at this bird, it's actually perfect. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful little thing. So they set up these trail cameras. This little parrot actually nests in termite mounds uh, by <coughs> drilling a little hole and digging it all out and they'll make a nest inside the termite mound. A termite mound is, uh, for those of you who don't know, in Australia they can be straight up off the ground and they can, what, they're sometimes they're 10, 12, 15 foot or something, aren't mm. they? Those ones, Northern Territory and stuff. Oh, they're huge. Yeah. Tall as a vehicle. Massive, yeah, huge things. Uh, huge structures where these, these termites bring up uh, mud and uh, various other stuff and make these structures. Anyway, they burrow into this mud-like structures and have their nest in there. They are heavily predated by goannas. All right. Goannas can stand up on their tail, and if the um, and they've got massive claws, they can climb as well. If they can get their head in, like there's images of them grabbing either chicks and reefing them out, or grabbing the actual parrots, or getting the eggs. But this absolutely incredible kind of phenomenon was captured on camera where these this particular dingo was patrolling and protecting this um, nest, chasing away um, goannas and other predators, not trying to get the birds or anything for itself, Absolutely not going anywhere near the birds, but somehow being responsible for keeping uh, all the other animals away until these, um, I guess you call them fledglings or something, don't you? Babies uh, were at a point where they could actually fly yeah. and they all left the nest and then the dingo was just on its way. But they captured on camera multiple times this same dingo. Protecting them. Protecting this termite mound. And really? scaring away. What's that all about? I don't know. I think it's just one of those beautiful things that we don't know a lot about the, the um, nature because, you know, it's only been the last, um, I mean, really, say the last five years, if you want to be, where an organization like that can afford a hundred cameras, right? Right, eh? You know, I'm not just talking about, oh, yeah, that one camera's worth, you know, yeah, sure, 20 years ago you could have paid $30,000 for one time-lapse camera that you put in one place. But with the addition of these trail cams and how cheap they are, an organisation like this might put out, I don't know, maybe they put out 200, 300. I've heard yeah. of other organisations putting out 1,000 across the Northern Territory territory to monitor stuff yeah right. that would have been previously impossible because the technology wasn't there um and certainly not the the affordability wasn't there yeah cool so we're only now we're seeing things that yeah. we think are amazing and oh wow that's never seen that before well 
perhaps it's been happening for a thousand years. We just don't know about it. <laughs> Pretty cool, man, eh? That is cool. Told you that a happy story. Right. So I'm going to go to an even happier story. Yeah. Okay. This is the headline. She can't walk and he can't see, but together they climb mountains. Oh. This is hilarious. This is great. I love it. Melanie and Trevor are hiking buddies, and they're both from Colorado. Melanie was born with spina bifida, and Han, Han lost his uh, eyesight five years ago um, due to glaucoma disease. Mm. Jeez. So they met at, um, oh, so Trevor actually did continue to hike and he'd have um, friends come out with a bell and they'd ring it and he'd kind of follow that. He was into the outdoors prior to that, um, as was Melanie, I think, from the article. Anyway, they met at this um, last year at this course for adaptive exercise, they call it, which I guess is just um, learning to, you know, to live with uh, your, your disability or work around it, I guess. That's my assumption, by the way. Anyway, they met and um, they were kind of talking about their shared passion for nature and the outdoors. And they decided that um, they should kind of undertake hiking as a bit of a team. And her quote is, uh, Melanie says, to us, teaming up to do this just seemed like common sense. Excellent. <laughs> so he puts his backpack on and she basically goes gets in the backpack and he can't see and she just directs and just hangs over his shoulder and just says, Oh, watch out for the rock and watch out for this, watch out for that. Truly. It's That's so cool. cool man. <laughs> I know, it's just the craziest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you you guide me through some places sometimes. <laughs> it's quite so, and quite like often that. I'm yeah. carrying you on my back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw parallels. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought it was awesome. That's you good. can follow them on Instagram, uh, hiking underscore with underscore site. Uh, <laughs> again, any of this, you, you don't remember it because you're driving or um, doing something, uh, just go to the show notes. Uh, on on the podcast page, choose the episode and you'll get all this cool stuff. Yeah, That's how good. cool is that? And yeah. on a high, man. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I like that. I knew you'd like that. <laughs> it's time for gear talk. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I. Yeah, you go because I haven't got too much to add to this. You don't. You don't. It's all right. You can go for it, mate. If you got something. No. No, you tell me what you've been looking up, please. Oh, this is. Um, first of all, this is by chance. I happen to be on the Merrill uh, shoes website whatever you call oh, yeah, it yeah i didn't realize they had a tactical boot range have a look at that bad boy so um there's a whole range of them uh low carts high carts yeah, cool various different things and they you know come in desert tan and all of that um i just had no idea that they ventured down that path but i thought they were pretty hardcore looking shoes boots really yeah it's full blacked out I full like black, that. yeah, <clears throat> full blackout. And then the um, desert tan is full desert tan, like not mm. a speck of black cleats or anything. It's all desert tan. looks pretty cool. Yeah, right. yeah I just wondered if you'd heard of that. Cause well, I've, I've seen thought... Salomon do that as well. Oh, really? I didn't see. I wasn't familiar with that. No, so you could get the, um, the um, 
what are they called? The the G fours, uh, um, the four Ds, forty max. The Quest. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. You quest. can get them in a in a black. You still. did tell me that. I didn't realize that was part of a kind of a full tactical range. Yeah, I think so. I think they're four. Because if you go to this Merrill boot range, it's I'm talking like fifteen boots or something. All oh, right. Yeah. Yep, yep. No, yep. it's it's for like police and defense and stuff like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, this is this is quite similar, yeah. yeah. And and to be honest, if um if I had to spend my days in um in in boots for uh, yeah, they'd be good. a security guard or something, yeah, I'd definitely go down the the route of using a um uh modified hiking boot. Well, a hiking boot company because you just know that they're used to Supporting mm-hmm. people on their feet all day. For sure. Yeah, that, that was cool. That was an unpaid sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, I just thought it was interesting. Um, what I was alluding to earlier was the, um, with Bluey Merino, they've actually released two products in the last couple of months this year. <clears throat> One of them's a puffer vest, right? But, Thing about a puffer vest, you're thinking of um, like a synthetic inner, synthetic outer, and then a um, well, and the expensive models like a duck down or something, mm-hmm. yeah, or a cheaper one might be synthetic inside, yeah. This thing's got, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 100% merino outer and inner layers, mm. and then in the so the puffy bit of the puffer. Is eighty percent merino, twenty percent polyester blend, to give it loft. So I just thought that was an insane, um, yeah, concept. And they've also um, developed a tighter uh, or a, a more unique weave, which is um, a bit more water repellent as it stands, uh, and also wind resistance, wind resistant. Anyway, it's a yeah, it's a vest and Jeez, that looks nice. Imagine how warm that'd <laughs> that be. Would be so warm. <laughs> I know, right? Like we just wear just the t shirts and we're warm. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon it's kick ass. Yeah, for sure. They also have got a new jacket out, like a hoodie. It looks like a hoodie. They call it the Overland jacket. Mm-hmm. Uh hundred percent merino wool. The hood is double lined. And again, it uses that new kind of weave that they've created, which is showerproof and wind resistant. And then up in the hood part there, it's got that high um, kind of chin guard. So if you zip it right up, it comes up high almost to your mouth. And then it's got little um, elastic toggles where you can cinch down that hood right down tight. All right. Uh, it's a pretty cool looking thing. That is. zip pocket. I can imagine that. Because I've actually got what they call um, the urban hoodie. You've seen me wear that. It's like a dark grey, 100% merino. It is warm. Warm as, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. warm, real warm. <clears throat> but these ones having that tighter weave to stop that cut through from the wind would be pretty epic. Oh, that's cool. What do you got in your uh, list? Mate, I actually am not very well prepared for this section this time. I um, haven't... The, the only thing I've been doing a bit of research in, and I actually 
because I had to buy some was some new headlamps because I, I bought some for my dad for Father's Day and oh, yeah. for Anna's dad for Father's Day. I got some of the Petzl um, Actic Core. So they got the, the battery that's rechargeable in it and you can swap it out for general uh, yep. AAA batteries. Yeah, that's one I've got, yeah. Yeah, so I got them a, a decent one of them. And so that started me thinking about what I should be using when I'm running at night. And then I got um, looking at some of the 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 now which is a, a petzl one with the battery at the back yep and they go up to some crazy like six or eight hundred lumens or something ridiculous <laughs> so you yeah you just pretty much got to like at spotlight. this time of year you got to watch out you're not starting your own bushfires <laughs> <laughs> yeah you look like fun. that um what's that dude in um X-Men, is it Cyclops or something? All right, yeah. He just he turns yeah. his head and just burns down. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've just been yeah, looking a little bit at that stuff, but I haven't, no, I haven't got much else for you, I'm afraid. Yeah, that's all good. Um, I do like those Petzels. I, I mean, I more than like it, and I love that core battery. It is absolutely epic. Yeah. It takes so long to charge. Oh, does it? Oh, yeah, but... And I'm not saying that in a negative way. It takes if you if you put that on charge, you know, in the afternoon, it t- the next morning, it'll probably just be charged. Okay. But when you use it, it lasts forever, forever. I'll take it on. I'll charge it, and I'll do a couple of trail runs at night a week, and I'll charge it once every three weeks or something. Yeah, right. and I'm out there sometimes for an hour and a half at a time with it on. Yeah, really good. Yeah, the, yeah. the battery quality must be insane. You know, the density and everything. Yeah, because you know that you know, my pencil's got the battery sort of built into it. You can remove it, but you can't put triple A's in it. Yeah, that's what I like about. The, yeah, is that if the you course that sort of it, setup. you know if you're somewhere and you 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 core fails or. Um, mm-hmm. you don't have a USB charger or something or you forget your cable, you yeah. can stop in any service station, town or whatever, get yourself three AAAs, bang, you're back in business. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a smart way to, no, to travel. Good, good gear, eh? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's good, mate. Tom's Magical Media Mashup. For sure. What do you got for oh, us? Oh, man, I, I've... I've written this here. It's I forgot um, mystery. <laughs> <laughs> it is a mystery. It it's always a mystery, a mystery actually. <laughs> Tom's us. mystery. No, Tom's magical mystery media mashup. Oh goodness me! Get it right. I had to get my own segment right. Um, don't I? What do you got for? I it? was having a laugh when I was writing. You know, getting prepared and everything. Yesterday, I thought. I'm almost going to have to have another segment called Tom's Rants, <laughs> the way I'm going. <laughs> okay, I got this. Um, I stumbled across it. It's another Salomon TV, uh, one of the series. You know, I've showed you one yeah, of those before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really cool. They yeah. do great little um, mini uh, films. There's this uh, trail run called Mount Marathon, and it's in a small... Um, harbour town of Seward, Alaska. It's only a five-kilometre race. 
okay? Right. 3.1 miles. It's only 5Ks. You can run 5Ks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Piece of cake. Easy. <laughs> right. The elevation gain is 921 meters. Ah. 3,022 feet uh, over... We'll put it this way, yeah. that's five kilometers return. So <laughs> it's three point one miles return. So half of that you're doing um almost a kilometer vertical. Yeah, right. And it's brutal too. I'll show you this screenshot. Um the record is currently stands at forty one minutes twenty six seconds. Look at this. <laughs> Oh, that's too much. Isn't that insane? I love that someone's got no shirts on and stuff. Yeah, they've got just... no shirts. They're absolutely insane. They're absolutely <laughs> insane. And what's, um, it just looks like people mountain climbing. Yeah. <laughs> but what's cool is uh, they go up this way. Yeah. And it's a lot of scrambling, I'd say. And then they come down another way, which is a long, long, long 45-degree scree slopes of kind of this grey slate. Uh. And these guys are sliding and tumbling and tripping and rolling and just coming down. And people are coming across the finish line covered in mud, covered in blood, cuts. It's absolutely just brutal and hilarious and i think it's just so cool okay. and so this this video features obviously it's a salomon video uh again this has got a pretty cool link up what, remember that book i was telling you that i just read that um sky runner hmm. well um i think emily forsberg is how you pronounce her name she her and her partner killian jornette i believe it's pronounced, uh, they went to this Mount Marathon and they both um, broke the records on oh, the right. same day. Like They're Did just they? absolute freaks. Only just has um, this year, I believe, Killian's record was beaten by 30 seconds. Um, but yeah, the year they went, which must have been last year, I'm guessing, when was this video put up? Oh, no, 2016, I take that back. That was quite a few years back. Uh, so in the year they went, 2016, they both went there for the first time and busted the record. Hmm. And only this year has um, someone overtaken it. But yeah, it's insane. You've got to watch that one, Craig. Yeah, right. Only goes for, what, uh, 10 minutes. It's okay. great. And, uh, and it's actually put together really well. It's a good documentary. All right. Something completely different. Nordic nut bread. I can't tell you how I came across this. <laughs> I don't know how I... I was deep in the web, right? <laughs> deep. Um, Lost. Deep in um, part two of The Matrix. Yeah, yeah. And somehow I come across this YouTube video. I do like making my own um, trail food sometimes, uh, you know, our mate Josh gave us a big bag of trail mix that, you know, he does it from scratch, picks the exact ingredients he wants and the ratios he wants and mixes them all together in a bag. And yeah, um, I love that sort of stuff. Um, I have toyed with making um, my own kind of 
granola bar style thing, muesli bar style things in the past. Um, a bit hit and miss, but this Nordic nut bread, there's a channel I found on YouTube called, it's K-V-A-L-I, I'm assuming it's Vali or Kali. One of those letters has to be silent. Let's call it Vali food. <clears throat> and check this out, man. Like It's basically just nuts, eggs, and oil. Look at this <laughs> density of <laughs> You're basically looking at... It looks like you've made a brick yeah. out of nuts and then you just cut it, sliced it. Oh. And you're just looking at the end grain of an yeah. insane amount of um, pepitas, pumpkin seeds, almonds, Brazil nuts, basically whatever. There's... Um, what are those little ones called? Poppy seeds, maybe? Uh, yeah, definitely got sunflower. sesame seeds in there. Sorry, um, sunflower, you're right. So is this a um, video you've looked at or is this a book? Sorry. It, yeah, no, no, it's a video. There's yeah. a video of how to make it. That's how and I that's found it. That's a screenshot it. or something. No, th this is um, a link to the recipe. Oh, yeah. So um, I will not... Own, there's oh, there a video it is. There, yeah. yeah. So I won't just share the video on the show notes, but I'll also... Um, you can get all the ingredients. Look at all the stuff in there. Uh, now, think about when you're on the trail, pound for pound, nuts, uh, sunflower seeds, eggs, olive oil, a bit of salt too. Hmm. So um, that's always good on the trail. I just thought, man, this 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 stuff's just crack cocaine for trail Um for, for hikers. Yeah, it would be. So you should try and make something. I'm going to make something. Bring it along. Yeah, next, and I'll make it. Bring it along next time. I am, mate. I'm going to make it. <laughs> Don't just talk about it. No, no, I'll do it. <laughs> and I'll let everyone know how it goes. That does sound good. Yeah, it's just packed full. It's basically, instead of carrying a bag of nuts, you've just made it into a, um, a brick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's easy to carry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, I thought that was pretty epic. And it, it actually um, reminded me of... Bannock bread. Remember when I did I make bannock bread for you one time? Mate, you're gonna have to remind me because I know I've heard that before. Yeah. What What's cool about bannock bread? And I got this recipe off. Um, oh, what's it? Mind Mind Wiseman, I think, is his YouTube channel. Uh, he's kind of like this um, kind of prepper sort of dude in the UK, I think, and. Uh, I just saw it on one, he was just canoeing down a river and he says, oh, I'm making bannock bread. And what was really, really good about it, and I'll put a link to this video, is you can take all the ingredients dry with you and you can cook it um, on the trail when you get to your destination so you don't have to cook it and take it. Mm. So you basically, and I've done this, I did this um, up at... Um, Alex's farm one time by myself, but I think I've done it. With I think you, you as have well. to. It rings yeah. a bell. So basically, bannock bread is it's like a damper, is it? Or? Yeah, very similar to a damper. A little, it, it doesn't rise like damper, and you cook it straight in the pan. But you basically take a big Ziploc bag, like a massive Ziploc bag yeah, with yeah. your flour, um, you know, chopped almonds, chopped cranberries. Um, oh yeah. Again, just uh, all different kinds of nuts. All those really kind of. Um, you know, full of um, uh, nutritional value and all that sort of stuff. And then w what you do then is you work out how much um, milk it would need. And instead of putting milk in, 
you work out how much milk powder you need. Hmm. So you just put milk powder in there. Yeah. Then when you're on the trail, you get to your destination, light yourself a little fire and get your pan out. All you got to do is add water. That's going to create milk with the milk powder. It's going to mix in with the flour and all the nuts and berries that you put in and bake this really delicious kind of sweet mm. um, nutty bread. It's just... Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it made me think of it again. As soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, man, it's been years since I've made bannock bread. i got to do that again. Hmm. And uh, that also leads me to something called pemmican. You ever heard of that? I have, but where, what is it? Yeah, it's uh, made from meat, suet, which is a rendered fat, and berries, kind of in the same vein. It's almost like if you got... Um, beef jerky mm. and then put it through a um, food processor so it just went to dust then you used a, um, a fat to kind of bond it and then you put in berries and stuff right. um, so you end up with this again it, lo- it looks like a um, a block and you can carve chunks off it mm. uh, and it it's um, they call it like a super kind of survival food. It's yeah. is a very old, very very old um, tradition, and you can carry it when it's in that form. You can carry it for weeks and weeks, um, especially if you're not adding too much wet ingredients, but you still get all that nutritional value from the protein and the berries. And no, oh, that does sound cool. Yeah, yeah, another interesting one. Mm. So I thought that was uh, something a bit different. Because hmm. yeah. I know cool. there's a lot of people. I just know that everyone who's into the outdoors is usually a gear freak. And then a lot of people like to take it a step further and really uh, muck around with their caloric intake and, and, you know, create all of these cool granola bars and all that sort of stuff. So I'll put those links in because I know some of those things are really interesting. Hmm. All right. Have you got your notes there, Craig? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, can I throw one in then? Yeah, yeah, go. All right. Um, you know the Scottish Tom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about Fandabby him. Fandabi Dozy. Yeah. His, uh, yeah. YouTube channel, yeah. Gets out in his 17th century get-up. Scottish. Scottish get-up yeah, and bushcraft. Yeah. And I think you did talk about him in the show notes on number 16. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was uh, episode before last. Because yeah. yeah, everyone should check that out. Because I had you through. You sort of sprung that on me, and I've checked it. Out. I love it. By it's the way, it's good, isn't it? You yeah. were laughing at the time. I remember you going, "Okay, sounds weird." <laughs> no, 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 no. He's top shelf. What he does, he's great. That is so cool. Um, anyway, I'm hoping you might put up a link to uh, a girl from Bavaria, Germany, mm. and her channel is called. Wild Woman Bushcraft. Yeah, I know her. So, yeah. of course, I'd be interested. You know, we're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, right a lot of people might know. I think she's, I think no, she's, 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 um, yeah, pretty, pretty popular. Pretty popular. She's yeah. got 61,000 subscribers. So, I just think a few of our listeners might want to check it out if they haven't already. And I'll, I'd like you to put up just the one I watched first because for me, that one is just immersive. It's very cool. She, um, Sets up a, a camera, does some fantastic um, sort of use of her camera just to 
to demonstrate her campsite. She doesn't talk. She's got the, the microphone turned on the whole time. It's like watching an art house film. People probably wish that we didn't. That's some... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If we just had the podcast, it was just an hour of silence. Silence. Yeah. Actually, I was, I was going to say that <laughs> some, some of her videos where she, she does talk and her English is, is, is pretty bad. And then I was going to say, well, hang on, so, so is mine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> My English is just barely passable. Barely English. Uh, but no, it was definitely. Yeah, it was like, she does some cool stuff. Uh, yeah. She popped up in my feed because I, I kind of watch a lot of Survival Lily. Have you seen her? Well, no, but since I... She'll pop up now that you've yeah, looked at that. Yeah, and that's what's yeah. happened. There's quite a few, um, yep. you know, girl takes dog out into the wilderness for a while. And great, man. It's really cool to see that stuff. And mm. um, yeah, she does a, a pretty good job of it. Yeah. yeah. For sure. No, yeah, absolutely. No, she's a, she knows what she's doing. Um, she tends to show a lot of her shortcomings, which I I like. Yeah, that's I've true. I've noticed through her videos, she'll say that didn't work or that's not the right way of doing it or yeah. in hindsight, I should have done this. A lot of people, especially guys, um, will do a, you know their YouTube channel with everything just works out perfectly. Mm-hmm. But um, I like the, uh, you know, something we're pretty pretty proud of is, um, you know, showing, showing mm. our faults mm-hmm. and, and sort of learning from that. And I think it's good to see it in a video. Yeah, she carries some cool knives and axes, eh? Yeah, she got some. She got some cool kit as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. Speaking <laughs> of um, speaking, and it is we're still still in that uh, media mashup. Speaking of women in the outdoors, I got something for you. Oh yeah, look at this. Um, it's your birthday present. Oh, girls in the outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's every. You're not going to be familiar with. You won't be able to guess what that is because you've never probably had anything that shape before oh. given to you as a present. <laughs> I'm going to have to read something. Is that right? It's a book. Yeah. Oh man, it's even it's wrapped beautifully. Thanks, wrapped, Tom. It's it's purple with little um, cartoon <laughs> balloons on it. Oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, sorry, I didn't have it at the right time for your birthday. <laughs> oh yes, this looks good. Yeah, you you love it. I'm literally, I'm about ten pages away from finishing that. I'm going to finish it tomorrow morning when wow. I have my cup of coffee. It's uh, if so, you, yeah. So you've told me about this. So this is called uh, my year without matches, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was I put up an Instagram post about a week or two ago uh, when I received my copy, and awesome. I I was pretty much captivated by. Oh, I don't know, three pages in, man, I was done. I just can't put it down. Jeez. And it's, I have to say it, and, and it's and it's, it's purely because it's a fact um, that the that journey from a woman's perspective is, it caught me off guard. It's different to what a, a guy would write, and that's a fact. And um, in some respects, it's deeper. In some respects, it's, the attention to detail, the subtleties, the emotions. I just think the way that she's written that book is um, phenomenal. I, I mean, mm. I'm not talking about it on this podcast um, because I don't want to spoil it for you and I've still got um, 
uh, one chapter to go. So oh, cool. Stay tuned for that. I, I basically won't review that on the podcast until you have read the complete oh, book. Oh, wow. And we can do it together because I don't want to tell you what it's all about. All right. Like well, we'll be back here your... in six months. Yeah, That'll be yeah, great. basically this time next year. No, I'll read it quick. I'll get into this. This looks good. I'm excited. Thank you, mate. Yeah, and I don't I don't really like uh, – I hope this doesn't come back to bite me, but I don't really like giving um, too much away um, – you know, giving away scoops about what we've got coming up. But I can say that I am in a lot of contact with the author of that book. Uh, she's agreed to come on as a guest mm. and it's just a matter of us, um, you know, the stars aligning and, and all of us being available at the same time. Oh, wow, that's cool. So that's something to look forward to. Claire Dunn is her name. And, uh, yeah, again, I'll put links to that Um in the show notes so you guys can get your hands on a copy if you like um yeah it's cool i wrote in it i signed it oh yeah oh yeah. there you go happy birthday thanks mate. <laughs> oh that's yeah good. it's a good book you'll enjoy that for sure and the other i'm um, just gonna go sit over the corner and start this now <laughs> you start reading it i'll finish <laughs> this up mate the uh other cool thing uh if we want to continue on the scoops is that guy, that um, the Scottish Tom from Fandabby Dozy, that Craig mentioned before, we're also in uh, in email conversations with him, and we just need to set a date with him. Oh, is that right? Yeah, you said that. Yeah, that would no, be so, so cool. All we got to do is you and I just need to give him a couple of dates as soon as he, um, uh, if he can fit in with one of those, job done. You you guys are gonna love listening to him. Yeah. For sure, that's yeah. good. So yeah. we got a couple, we got a lot of cool stuff coming up wow. uh, between now. We still got a few months of this year left, and um, we intend to jam pack that with cool guests and uh, just other, anything else we can. All right, story about um, story about that's right. Your email, an email, yeah. Um, let me just check if I'm literally going to check right now to see if I've got another email back just before I start this story because I replied to him. So if you listen to the last episode, he hasn't written back yet. If you listen to the last episode, I told you a story about the, the tick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't listen to the last episode, um, it's not acceptable. Go back and listen. But it, it, long story short, a guy takes a new girlfriend out hiking, um, camping, uh, gets a tick in an unfortunate place, mm. um, in his nether regions mm. and has to get her to go searching for it and ripping it out for him on their very first, um, date. Mm. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> so... He wrote wrote back to me and said, "Yeah, you did a pretty, a reasonably good job of telling that story, you know, as far as accuracy goes." And he said, "He's he's already listened to it, but he's was going um, camping with her again last weekend, mm. and he said I've downloaded it, and I've told her." Because there's going to be a couple of hours drive, he said. I've got this really good podcast to listen to. 
<laughs> and she has no idea that he wrote to me or anything that I'm telling his story or whatever. Knows nothing about it. And he said, I can't wait to see her face when we're driving along. And then I just start talking about the story of those two. Right. <laughs> so I wrote back to him anyway. It was literally only, um, I think, last weekend that he did that. So on Saturday, a couple of days ago. So um, <laughs> I wrote back to him and said, you got to tell me how it went. I just can't wait. Yeah. Uh, but he, he hasn't written back yet. So stay tuned. By the time we get to next episode, I'll have probably heard back from him as to how that went down. When they're driving along, cruising through the country, listening to this cool outdoor adventure podcast, and then the, one of the hosts just starts talking about <laughs> her pulling ticks off. <laughs> oh, that could go. Oh, bad. he's cheeky bugger, that guy. Right. Um, yeah, he he loves stitching her up, eh, by the sounds of it. That's yeah. hilarious. I mean, I'm sure you had that clearance to uh, put that to air, but uh, he probably hadn't gained the right clearance. Yeah, I don't know if he got clearance. Luckily, her name wasn't in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and um, I'm just going to jump into shout-outs now. We had um, one of our Instagram followers... Oh, he's also a podcast listener, I should say. He was um, preparing to, his name's Justin. He was preparing to do the Bibbleman track. You're familiar with this, aren't you? Because we we're yeah. talking to Josh about it. It's a thousand kilometer track in uh, Western Australia. Oh, yep. So down the bottom left corner, so southwest corner of Australia. Some parts it goes along beaches, it goes through bushlands, it goes through rainforests, it just goes through over a thousand kilometers. You can imagine the different terrain that it takes on. Mm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Anyway, Justin was preparing for, I think, a two to three day hike. He's basically his first hike and with a mate. And he wrote to me and said, an Instagram and said, Hey, um, thanks so much for the. Uh, one of the episodes, I found it really useful. I'm going out on my first hike. Yeah, really looking forward to it. And then I said, yeah, good on you, mate. Go for it. And then he wrote back and said, my mate's just pulled out, but I'm going to go anyway. And I said, well, I reckon you should. Like, you've got all the gear ready. you got everything ready. You go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, give it a go. Do your first solo hike. <clears throat> so he ends up going... Um, he ends up going on the solo hike because this, you know, this is very similar to the um, AT or something in the States where you can just choose to do tiny sections, even just a day hike or half a day hike, or you can choose to do two, three days a week or three months, you know? Okay, yep. So he chooses to do just a small section. And I'm just going to pull up the um, actual message. Mm. Um, and he said to me, he wrote back and said, um, I want to thank you for something I heard on one of your earlier podcasts about Topo Maps Plus. I downloaded the app and I put in my trail. Well, it may have just saved my life and a valuable lesson was learnt. I was lucky to find my way out of a bad situation. Going really off trail, I kept pushing and being a little stubborn, I didn't want to hike all the way back to a marker. I thought I'd just keep following a different track. Um, but I was wrong. Uh, luckily, 
I still had reception to get the maps and I found which direction I had to go. Uh, and so basically, um, hmm. he got out by, by installing, <laughs> installing that app <laughs> from listening to the, Jeez. um, I always thought that was a oh, fantastic story for, for one that the, the, um, <clears throat> the app was so, so useful, but secondly, because it helped him thirdly, because he got out of, and didn't have to get airlifted out yeah you would have felt real good um oh if i said go go for it <laughs> go and, on mate you can do didn't it know about the app yeah you're right yeah, i didn't think of it that way <laughs> um anyway justin i said to him mate top effort mate for going out there and he he signs off and says um the mental hurdle that i had to overcome uh was something incredible um i've never overcome so many barriers in my life as much as that day. Really? Uh, yeah, I, I know what it's like to be solo. It's not to be taken lightly, right? We know mm. this. Yeah, sure. It's um, it's something that takes a different skill set and a different level of confidence. Yeah. At the same time, we've said this a thousand times, um, the, the, the solitude wreaks havoc on your decision-making process. And... Um, you, so yeah, good on you, mate, for getting through that. I right, props to you for <clears throat> keeping on going. Something that Justin closes with that is, you know, we've heard this a couple of times um, from other um, listeners, in fact, and other people that reach out to us. Is um, he says even um, even suffering through anxiety and depression. Um, previously in his life, he he didn't really um, suffer as much as he did that day. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. So, but my point with that is that so many, um, and and it's mostly males that are kind of reaching out, and these aren't, you know, well, some of them are young, some of them are, um, you know, I don't know what the term is, middle aged or whatever, mature. And, you know, it just, it just strikes me, and this is a different subject altogether, but it, it just strikes me that a lot of um, males are kind of suffering from um, depression. I don't think that it's kind of taken seriously enough because of that, that macho kind of... Um, and I'm not talking about Justin's situation there. I, I'm being, I'm generalizing. Mm. And it just strikes me as something that uh, we need to kind of, uh, like you need to be able to reach out to mates. You need to be able to hike with mates, hang out with mates, do something with mates. And personally, I like getting in the outdoors because it takes all the other uh, distractions away. And I think there's a certain amount of... Um, learning and, and healing to be done in nature. And uh, I think that's kind of, he went through some of that yeah, in, and even in that period, yeah. Especially being able to just talk about anxiety and depression like that, like he is to you, that's very... Yeah, just being, I, th I think forward. that's important. I think yeah. what's wrong with saying that, uh, hey, I've, I, I have suffered from this or I am suffering from this or I don't know what, I'm feeling at the moment, but it doesn't feel right. Can mm -hmm. we have a chat about it? Like, guys, if you're not talking, that's, I think that's the first mistake. You gotta have, you gotta be able to, um, just, just open up about this thing. I, you know, I've got, um, a couple of mates like yourself included that 
you know, where uh, we'll sit around and chat and I don't know, nothing's off topic. I'll tell you if I'm feeling happy, sad, mad, whatever, whatever's getting me down, work. Yeah, you often tell me about, you know, in the mm. past, work struggles and stuff. You just got to be able to do it. Have a chat. Absolutely. And if you can get out and do some exercise and sweat it out, all the better. Anyway, as your story was unfolding there, I thought, oh, Tom's, you know, encouraged this guy. He's got himself a little bit lost. It sounds like he got pretty tragically lost. So, yeah, yeah. He, he had to bush bash. Um, wow. Through and walk through a river. and um, So that is an interesting story. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. so glad he had the topo mass. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's the last line is my favorite. He says, but I don't feel like I'm finished with nature yet. That's it, eh? <laughs> to which I replied, mate, absolutely not. Do not take that. And I told him, I said, you know, go listen to episode one of our podcast where we kind of delve into our first hike and how horribly wrong that went on a few levels. And um, you're going to get it wrong and it's going to be uncomfortable and you need to take stock, work out what what went wrong and why and um just make little improvements don't don't just give it up that's for sure mm. <clears throat> that dovetails pretty nicely into leading you guys back into uh what you're here for probably not to listen to us mm. tell stories mm. but um <clears throat> back to our guest we have obviously done part one and craig would you agree that uh Part two is going to dig a little deeper with Andy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I really do like the second half of this conversation. There's yeah, it's no a doubt. cracker. It, does, it just gets, it, it gets better and better, like a fine wine. Yes. Yeah, no, I think um, like we were just saying, you know, Andy got himself in a bit of trouble a few times as well, and we all do. It's part of earning your stripes, I think. It and, is. Uh, I yeah. think, yeah, exactly right. And if you want to put that back back into context with Justin. Is, That's what I mean. Mate, Justin, listen to this and listen to a guy who's um, extremely confident and getting himself into trouble because he makes um, careless mistakes. Um, we all do. And he does as well. Hmm. All right. We ready to do it? Okay, guys. Well, I hope you enjoy it as much as we did making it. Um, great conversation with Andy. Here it comes. Would you say that if you had to choose one of one of these two phrases to kind of sum up yourself, would you say that you're more repelled by the world we live in, so the city life, or are you more drawn to the wilderness? Or is it somewhere in between? Uh, these two age uh, questions, I like them. Um, it really <laughs> makes me like think about it, you know. But yeah, like th you can't live without town, you know. I can't live without a house. I can't live without having regular access to food and water and other people, you know, and a community and and all of this, you know. And, and, and so, you know, you are grateful for having a home and all those things that are provided um, by being able to live in a town. And when you go out there, it's, it's such a juxtaposition. It's such a different existence out there. And, and you couldn't do it if you didn't take your pocket of civilization with you. If you didn't have a tent, if you didn't have a stove, like, you know, the old timers did it the hard way, um, but they still had basic, you know, they had boots, they had, um, you know, a tarp or they had a cat, they had food with them. 
the places I go, there's not enough food to eat. Like it's not the kind of land that you can, you know, survive on, especially in winter. Yep. Um, you know, you might find a few berries to eat or a couple of mushrooms, but it wouldn't be enough to sustain you for a period of time, you know, unless you hunted. But then you know, you're within national parks, so you probably shouldn't be hunting out there. <laughs> um, so yeah, it just kind of leaves you the choice of okay, I'm going to take a pack's worth of stuff, and 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 without that, you you can't be out there. So it's it's hard to draw the line of you know what 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 do you seek more? But it's there's certain things you can only find out there, and there's certain things you can only find in the city, and you need to acknowledge that you need both to survive. Mm. Mm. I think yeah. that's a really good question, Tom. I I like how you answered it too, Andy. It's uh, yeah, there's the, the the sensitivity when you come back from, you know, your senses being alert for in the in the wild, and then you come back and you just just feel that the strangeness of our society. But um, yeah, you, you need both. You need that sort of um your friends and your family and your connections with other people, and then um, yeah, you need to experience the wild as well. Hey, can I ask you, mate, how how did you go about planning for like, you know, you say you plan for two years, sometimes three years for some of these trips. Is that because you had to put food at, at drop-off points and you had to work out how much you needed? And is it all about planning your gear correctly? Or Oh, look, yeah, no, it's sort of what, talk about logistics. Um, I love this shit. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. like... Well, I don't no, know. I don't know any hikers that don't, mate. This is where they um, yeah, start yeah. rubbing their Let's hands together gear. and go, "Oh, yeah, good." <laughs> <laughs> I knew we'd arrive at this. Well, yeah. Look, I mean, logistically, it's it's difficult because you know, on, on the trips that I like to do, like what what I plan my trips around is spending as much time in remote areas as possible, um, remote and scenic. So I don't want to, you know, take a detour to have to go into a town or to a road even if I don't need to. Um, so the whole idea of planning a longer trip is to pick a route that I'm going to provision before starting the trip in in um, animal and waterproof tubs. And so I simply mm. visit those located the, the, my caches. And for the for the for the Tassie Traverse, the 84 day trip that I did last year, um, I had nine of those food drops. Um, and each of them contained about a week's worth of food um, and other things that you need on the trip. So, yeah, like the kind of gear you take, like, yeah, on a three-month trip, you're going to need extra AAA batteries for your head torch. You're going to need a bog roll um, every now and then, you know. <laughs> so it's one of those things, like you got to think ahead. So just, and just quickly about those food drops you got. Did well, you- I think quickly we should explain to our um, <laughs> international listeners what a bog roll what is. What a bog roll is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's what you wipe your ass with when you take a shit. <laughs> there you go. You summed that up. All right, next. You didn't know. Yeah, so did you have to um, hide them? I know you said animal and waterproof. Um, do you have to just sort of hide them somewhere? Do you have to GPS mark them or do you go to a place that you know well? Or Look, the, thing, the main thing about food drops is you've got to be able to find them yourself. Yeah. Uh, when you go back, <laughs> that's, and that's and that's why I place my food drops and not anyone else. Um, okay. So yeah, one of the food drops I had to paddle in to the base of Eldon Peak, um, and that's the food drop I didn't need in the end, which is a very long story. Probably not going to tell that one, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, it was it was a sol- it was a two day mission to get it in, and it was a two day mission to get it out at the end of the trip wow. after I didn't use it. Jeez. Wow. Um, and so then, you know, you, I was, you know, that was, that food was, was about 
15 k's from the closest road totally off track so then you know you just find a place that you can find your way back to so you know yeah from you know it was near a confluence of two rivers and i knew roughly you know about 300 meters up from there through along this path next to the river um you know path there's no path it's just you know a line that you pick through the scrub yeah um and then you know i remembered it was i put it up in this tree in case the river um floods um i didn't want it to get washed away yeah um and so it's literally just of going back to a tree that you've been there once you know and you just got to find your way back but how, how um, long how long before your trip had you put them there like weeks or months? well yeah because i was working at the time you know so i had short windows of opportunity so it took me about a month to place the food drops all okay um and you know i just placed them just before the trip so that yeah i finished placing them a week before i started my trip Right. And did you, uh, did you did you do it yeah. well? Did you end up, like, getting through nine drops? Did you end up running out of food at any point along the way, or did you do it okay? Well, I did run out of food at one point because one section took a bit longer than I thought it would. Yeah, um, yeah that's kind of a long story, that one. But, um, yeah, um, mostly, yeah, like, the food drops are intact. So, you know, it's that Good. thing of you get a bucket, you seal it up. Um, yeah, like, yeah, that process works well. Mm. Um, but then, you know, what you put in them is important. So right. I made these protein bars that I was like, oh, these are going to be the best thing ever. Um, <laughs> and they went moldy. Yeah. Oh, so I couldn't eat them. Oh man. That's no good. And that was 10% of my total rations for oh, the whole trip. That's massive. No good. That is So massive. then I caught, so then I still had my phone with me for one of the, you know, the first section. And then I called my mate, Pat, and I was like, Pat, can you buy me 40 cliff bars and bring it to me? Because <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, it wasn't, it wasn't a true solo trip because I had friends meet, meet me at certain points as well. Yep. Um, you know, certain landmarks or points where I needed, um, I needed kayaks. So we paddled across three of the waterways um, on my traverse. So I'd have certain people meet me on certain dates. Yeah. So when you talk about the planning of this trip, I have to know pretty much exactly how many days each section is going to take. Mm. You know, I yeah, it's pretty I difficult take... to meet somebody if you're three or four days out. Well, that's right. So, and not only that, but you need to know how much food to take for each section. Yep. So then, what took so long to plan? Because I was going into untracked areas. You looking on the map is not enough information to get a sense for how long it's going to take. Yep. So then you you literally have to talk to someone who's been there, who's done, you know, each of those sections or at least has a rough idea for what the country's like out there and roughly how much time it can take um, for each section, you know. So um, I was lucky enough to find an older um, local here, Peter Marmion, who helped me out with, you know, estimating the times for each off-track section um, the, through the Franklands and through the Spires and the Eldons and that kind of thing. And the Eldons was one place I didn't go into in the end. Um, so yeah, some places remain, you know, for, for my next trip. Yeah. yeah. Is uh was it the was this the trip that the first food cache um you took about half an hour to find it? Was that this trip? Oh, that was in the Australian Alps, I think. Um, yeah, actually, it yeah, because yeah. that was. That was under underneath snow. I remember. So I was like, oh, I swear it was one of these trees here. Geez, that, that would have, because um, you said it was around about 30 minutes, you couldn't find it. I, I think after about 10 minutes, I would have been starting to stress pretty heavily. Well, it was. I was in the trees and it was dark, and um, I just remember thinking, 
it's two days walk to the closest town from here and I have no food left. <laughs> <laughs> was there something was there something else about that specifically getting into that um barrel though? Was there some other little um surprise in there that you were looking forward well, to? Well look, you've gotta you've gotta put a couple of treats in there, I think. Yeah, so I think I had a couple of I had a couple of beers in that one. Oh, yeah. I see, I see. Yeah, very important case, that one. <laughs> yeah, well, they all had a couple of those in there. Um, <laughs> I remember by the end of that trip, yeah, at the end of the Australian Alps trip, I'd get to I'd get to food drop and I'd literally rip the lid of the bucket up and I'd get the block of chocolate and just eat it in one spot. Hey, like that block <laughs> of chocolate was just gone within like the first 10 minutes and then I'd be sitting there going... Oh, now I've got no chocolate for a whole week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of do a similar thing sometimes, uh, especially with chocolate. And um, I don't know. I think that's okay. I think you can still get savor that kind of memory for a week until you get the next one. Yeah, well, that's right. So, yeah, the food drops, you know, it, it, it adds an extra element to the trip, you know, because, and, you know, longer trips, you just got to account for the wear and tear of your, wear, of your gear as well. Like, you know, if you're on the PCT, yeah, probably not so much. Did you? But like Southwest, yeah. Yeah, well, did you have to test a lot of gear leading up to some of these trips? Have you, like, oh, yeah. ha- have you changed your mind a lot? Or are you pretty easy going with your gear, just make the most of it? Or do you really test it and work out what sort of soles you need to have on your boots and stuff like that? Or how, how- Well, look, I mean, about a trip like that, like your most important bits of gear, yeah, they're going to be your boots. They're, going to, like, they're just going to be a good pair of boots. Um, yeah, I ended up using a pair of Salmon's um, quests, um, actually two pairs of them. Um, I had one stashed in one of the food drops at halfway point, um, oh, yeah. and I was glad for that because, yeah, the first one was full of holes by the time I got there, and it just turned real cold around then. Oh, wow. Because I, I left in April and arrived uh, just after winter solstice last year. Um, oh, so it was kind of a late autumn, early winter trip. Um yeah, so then, you know, you just got to account for things like, you know, your raincoat, like, you know, in Tassie, because the scrubs, yeah, just so prickly, it just yep. puts holes in everything. So your pack's got to be pretty tough yeah. if you're going to do, you know, like a longer trip in Tassie. So, yeah, I always use the One Planet packs for the for the longer trips. Mm-hmm. Um, I just found them, yeah, so reliable, hey, um, just, yeah, company that's based in Melbourne and they manufacture in Melbourne still, so um like their packs are bomb-proof. So yeah. that's probably the most important thing. Having said that, I did manage to break it on that trip because I overloaded it. Like it was just had, had way too much shit in it. Yeah. So at the halfway point, I remember the, the, the stitching, yeah, did, you know, break. And then I had to, you know, I luckily I was at Lake Sinclair, so I could use the parks office, yeah, to use my housemate to call my housemate and be like, Hey, uh, can you send my pack up? That's in the, in the basement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you, yeah. Can you send it up with someone? And then my housemate came up the next day. Um, and yeah, brought me a, my backup pack and continued with that one. So yeah, you know, little things breaks, you need a little fixing kit. Yeah. It's a pre- um, pretty, pretty big deal. If you, if your gear lets you down, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you depended well, on if it. You, well, you know, if you if you're out in the bush on your own and and your pack breaks, well, it's it's bad news, you know. But the most important thing is not to let go of your pack either. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you you might have done that once on that trip. Is that correct? Come on, tell us that story. Oh well, that's when. So I was back at Federation Peak two years after we did Winter on the Blade. So my traverse of Tassie last year went right past it. I did the Eastern Arthur's traverse, 
And so when I got to Federation Peak, I remember I got to Bechevay's Plateau, and that was they were the platforms where we camped for two weeks. Yep. Um, two years previously, and it was, it was surreal sitting there. And I remember this cloud, you know, it was just super misty, drizzly, and I was sitting there eating my lunch, and I was just I was just really cold, and I was like, fuck, I really want to spend the night here, but I've got to keep moving. And I had three hours of daylight left, and I had to get around Federation Peak to the campsite on the other side of the mountain at Hanging Lake. And um, so anyway, I struck off after lunch and I thought, oh, three hours, it should take me about two and a half hours. So, you know, it should be all right. And um, anyways, so you go up and then you've got to descend down this kind of rock slab. Um, and it's very steep terrain, you know, and, and I've done that section of the track a number of times now, you know, maybe four or five times. And so I thought, oh, yeah, I've totally got this in the bag, you know. But what I didn't count on is that it was so wet and the snow melt um last year when i was there um yeah this slab became a waterfall and so you know what's usually a delicate descent became quite treacherous and i remember you know i've got a 30 kilo pack on you know again way too much stuff to carry that's like the recurring theme of most of my trips. <laughs> it seems to be and while i still haven't managed to fix for some reason um but yeah so you kind of descending and and i got to a point where i was like i cannot do the next move in my pack on and I couldn't go, I couldn't really go back. I didn't want to go back. And, you know, so I thought, well, I've got a four meter rope. I'm going to lower my pack to that ledge below me and then down climb on my own, you know, without the pack. And I've got everything in the pack, you know, my, um, all my food, my stove, my EPIRB, um, everything, all my dry clothes. Um, the only thing <laughs> I've got on me is my, is my camera, you know? And so anyways, so I lower the pack. And um, the rope's not quite long enough, you know, and I've kind of got one hand on the rope and one hand on the cliff just hung, hanging on and kind of balanced on this precarious edge, you know, and and the, and the rope's in a calm down climb or anything, so I'm pretty much stuck, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm going to have to let go of the rope here and hope the pack tumbles onto the ledge. And anyway, so I let go of the rope and the pack tumbles onto the ledge and then it keeps going, you know, and I look down this gully and the track, you know, that, goes around Federation Peak, descends for about another 50 meters and then turns right and goes up again. But the gully that I'm standing in continues 600 meters down to Lake Jeeves. Oh. And there's and there's a series of vertical drops along that. The closest one to me is about 100 meters further down, you know, and this, this gully is kind of channeled into a deep kind of V groove. So there's no way of getting around it and down climbing or anything like that. And I'm looking at this pack. And it's kind of gaining momentum, you know. It's like tumbling and then my water bottle flies out. And I watch it as it tumbles closer and closer to this ledge of no return. And I think, oh, shit, this could be quite bad, yeah. Because I was really cold by then, you know, and there's no food and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder what's going to happen next. And then, anyways, this pack literally stopped on the ledge. Yeah, one more tumble and it wouldn't have gone over. Um, oh, that is sick but, anyway. um, that is sick. As it was, as it was, yeah, it stopped. And I was like, well, I reckon I would have survived the night because the bit I didn't tell you is I did have my tent with me, yeah, because there was a separate dry bag that was tied to the outside of my bag. Yep. And so I had thrown that down onto the ledge pre-board the pack. And so I had my tent, so I could have got out of the wind at least. I, I would have survived the night, but, geez, it wouldn't have been a good time. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, that's... that I, I think I would have um, almost passed out watching that 
watching that roll down there. I'm sure it happened in slow motion, right? So then um, I'm assuming... Because, you know, it's your two days, you're two days from, from the, you know, two and a half days from the closest chance of seeing a person oh, from there. You know, even geez. if you just hoof it from out of there. Well, like, it will take you two days to get to um, get to road where the cars might be driving past. And, um, you know, without, yeah, without any of that gear, that time of year. But then... You know, the, eventually, you know, I picked up the pack, went to the campsite that night, and the next morning, just beautiful sunrise, and I was actually sitting on the tent platform in my undies, soaking up the sun, doing yoga, and I was like, this is great, life is great, I feel like it's summer again. Jeez. Mate, that sums you up, doesn't it? In your, in your undies doing yoga at sunrise, that that's what I think of when I think of you. <laughs> well, it's the best thing ever. If, you know, if, if it's warm enough, then it's great. Uh, how long did it take you to, um, Hey, sorry, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to reverse for a second and I don't want to sound morbid, but, um, I think it's a good point for listeners. Craig and I often joke about, um, which one of us has the EPIRB. Sometimes we used to have one each, but mine since expired. So I just rely on Craig having one, but we always make this joke of if, if I fall off the cliff, um, just make sure that you know you don't let Craig fall off the cliff because he's the one with the EPIRB. <laughs> now it's all it's funny and everything, but in your circumstances, that pack had the EPIRB in it, and you almost yep. lost it. And again, not to be morbid, but just revisiting that story of that mm. late lady who that's fell, exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. She fell with her pack fifty meters. The other hiker that was with her then realized that the EPIRB was in the other hiker's pack. So I didn't want to get all down after your yoga talk, but I think it's just a good lesson in saying, you know, we all need to be conscious of where the EPIRB is because Mm. nobody plans when they're going to fall off a cliff and nobody plans when they're going to throw their pack off a cliff. So. Uh, well, yeah. that's right. I mean, yeah, and um, yeah. So in that circumstance, what the other lady had to do, so it was only two of them. Is she had her phone on her, and yep. so she knew she had to get reception. So had to climb back up to the summit. I think this is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Don't know if she had to go all the way to the summit, but yeah, I think you have to go up from where the lady fell to get reception. And you know, like trying to climb in that mindset we've just seen your friend like fall to their death, like having to. Yeah, you know, and and that's what you have to do in that circumstance, you know, because you're like, well, she, you know, potentially she could still be alive, so I need to get assistance. Well, as that's soon as true I can. too. That's true. So too. then, yeah. you know, in that in that circumstance, you just think, well, if there is a backup, you know, how do I get to it? Um, but in my case, it would have been okay. I'm gonna have to start moving and keep moving because, you know, the chances of me retrieving the pack from where it fell was, I don't know, it was pretty minimal. So then for me, if I did lose my pack in that circumstance, I would have had to assess whether it was worth trying to retrieve it yep. or whether I would have just had to say, okay, I accept defeat and I go out right now. Yeah, but, so you had a tent, so you could have said, well, at the very least, I've got shelter from the elements. I can just turn around right now and try and do this two days as quick yeah. as possible. Yeah, like you'd survive for sure because, you know, there's plenty of water out there. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to die of thirst. Yep. And then, um, you know, your body can survive without food for at least a week, you know, as long as you, you know, you don't do anything too silly like twist your ankle or something like that. Yeah. Um, You know, can, then you might get stuck. But, yeah, you know, when you're in that position, you just kind of assess it for what it is and, and just deal with it as best you, as you can. You know, when you're out there um, and it happens, you just kind of go, well, okay, this has happened, but then 
what 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 can my response be to that you know yeah um but yeah i mean the first decision that the solar travel is going to make is yeah is whether you're going to take an epub or not mm-hmm. um and and i think having an epub with you it, it does funny things to your decision making because it doesn't make you feel invincible but it makes risk more acceptable i know exactly what um, you mean. So when you don't have an EPIRB, you're not going to do certain things that if you have an EPIRB, you might yeah. do. Yeah, it's very and interesting. Then... It's very interesting. I've noticed that with myself. When I first used to go, um, like my first solo trip, I didn't have an EPIRB um, and a few trips after that. And then it was when I took, I took my father on a um, three-day canoe trip and that was the point where I thought, well, it's okay for me to rely on my skills and abilities and I think I can get back to civilization. I think I'll be okay if I lose my pack. But I don't think it's acceptable to drag my father out there and expect him to to do the same. So that's when I'd forked out for an EPIRB. And um, yeah, up until recently when it expired, I was always carrying it. Well, that's right. Because, like, I think the argument is that, yeah, like, if you if you don't if you don't take an EPIRB and something happens, people are still going to come looking for you, um, to the best of their knowledge. You know, that's that's mm. you know that's what people do. Is if someone goes missing, they go looking for them. Mm. So then, if someone's going to come looking for you, you might as well make life easy for the rescuers. You know, if something happens. Yep. Um. Yeah, but then you know, I kind of made the analogy of climbing with or without ropes. Um, on a cliff base, you know, people who climb with ropes, you're happy to attempt something that you think you might potentially fall on because um, the rope's there to catch you. But if you are free soloing, you're climbing on your own without being tied together um, to a partner who can catch you full, and if you fall, you certainly die, you're not going to try something that you're not 100% sure about. Yeah, um, that's interesting. And so man. you approach the problem differently um, with or without an EPIRB, I think. And yeah. I can tell you this with great confidence because I used my EPIRB on the Tassie Traverse um, last <laughs> year. And that was the first time I've ever set one off for myself. Yeah. Um, funnily, not the first time helicopters have come looking for me, but it's the first time I've actually set one off. Really? <laughs> what was – because you're a pretty uh, – well, not pretty. You're very, very accomplished and confident, knowledgeable and skillful outdoorsman hiker whatever you want to call it so at what point does someone like yourself and i mean your resilience is far beyond the average person and i would say far beyond us at what point does andy decide that he's (laughs) going to hit that buzzer (laughs) well you know and it's one of those things like you don't find out you don't know that until you're in that position yeah um and, you know, you think, I'm going to take this EPIRB and there's no way I'm going to use it unless I'm literally about to die, like a literally life or death. And, and yeah, when I, I got stuck. I'll be very honest. I got stuck in the King William range by a storm. Yep. Um, and it was, you know, it's funny because um, I wasn't going to take an EPIRB on the trip. Um, wow. And my friend, you know, a, friend of, a good friend of mine uh, convinced me to take one. Well, you know, we had the conversation and I realized that, you know, and there was that argument that I thought, well, these guys knew my route. Even if I don't want people to come looking for me on that account, you know, of putting their own lives in danger or whatever. Yeah. Um, I've got to take an EPIRB because then if, if something does happen, 
then I'm just going to make it easy yeah, for my I, rescuers. Yeah, that's you know? an interesting viewpoint. I've never heard anybody say that. But what the way you're framing that is that out of respect to your friends and family who you know will follow in your footsteps to try and find you, you are making life easier for them. And that's a really interesting way of putting it. I've never heard that before. Well, that was the, that was the reason I took one because I didn't take it for myself. Um, I didn't want to take one for myself because I wanted to know what it's like to be out there on my own. Okay. Of, you know, knowing that, that if something does go wrong, I, there's no one, there's no one going to come looking for me. And that was, that was kind of the, one of the aims of this trip. Yeah. But then, I'll tell you what, I was very glad to have an EP. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was, um, yeah, so we, uh, I, um, that section, that section of the walk was quite, quite going to be, you know, the, the challenging bit. I had to get from uh, Lake Gordon to the Long Island Highway. So that's about, you know, 12 days worth of um, wilderness walking um, through, yeah, one of the most remote parts of Tassie. And, you know, there's certainly no way I was going to encounter anyone on that section. Um, and, and it was hard work, you know, I was, I was working really hard. And, and the rations that I'd kind of provisioned weren't enough um, per day. But, you know, I was kind of rationing the food per day as I had to, and I'd be, I'd be ravenous by 2 o'clock in the afternoon after I'd eaten, you know, my breakfast, my lunch, all my snacks, and I still had, you know, hours and hours ago. Um, and so eventually, anyways, eventually I got to the King William Range, and it was, it was a real shit fight to get up there because I, I had to cross this valley, right, that 10 kilometres took me three days, and... Wow. For three days, I was I was in this forest going up this mountain and I was following the compass bearings, you know, and counting steps. And for three days, I didn't see out of the trees, you know, so I was literally just following my compass through this forest for three days. And I thought, well, if I can get up to King William 3 from there, it's all open. You know, you're on a ridge line. You can see where you're going. Um, it's three days to the road from there. And when I topped out on King William 3, I had three days of food left. And I thought, great, I'm on schedule. Like, I've, I've made it. Like, I've gone through the most difficult trip uh, part of my trip. Navigationally, I was worried about that section, you know, from Innes High Rocky to King William 3. So, for any Tassie bushwalker, like, that means something. You know, that's a difficult stretch of country. And I was proud. You know, I was like, yeah, this is great. Like, I'm on King William 3. I can't believe this. And then... As soon as I got out of the trees, the wind was so brutal, you know, and it was been raining for two days straight by that point. Yep. So I thought, you know what, I've got three days of food. I'm just going to camp here and wait for this storm to blow over, you know, and um, I waited for the next six days and the storm didn't blow over. Wow. Um, and, you know, that's when you're sitting in a tent and, you know, you find the best campsite you can and the tent's shaking like the whole time. Visibility is like 50 meters. It's just above freezing points. So everything's saturated. You're sitting in a cloud, you're sitting in the rain, like there's, you know, plenty of water. You're not endangered in any way, but you can't really cover ground in those conditions. Yep. Um, yeah, because basically I decided not to take a GPS, not to take a phone for that section. I only had my compass. That's my only instrument for navigation in those conditions. And the compass was affected by the dolerite, by oh, the iron content, um, which is, yeah. So basically I couldn't rely on my compass. It was showing me all kinds of things that, they were, you know, the needle was swinging, you know, take 10 steps, you'd stop the check and you're walking the wrong way. And then you take a bearing again and you take another 10 steps and, and it would be telling you something different. And so hmm. you're on a broad, open ridge line. There's no landmarks. So it becomes very difficult um, to navigate. And on top of that, you've got the wind 
And, you know, my fingers would get so cold that I'd be worried about not being able to put up a tent on my own, you know. Um, And so I decided, you know, I'm going to sit and wait and wait for the weather to clear up. And there was one possible escape route that I didn't really want to take, which would have gone out to Butler's Gorge to the northeast. Uh, But it would have meant crossing the Gordon River at its headwaters. Um, And, you know, it's been raining for days at that point. And I thought... At that point, I thought, well, if I didn't have an EPIRB, I'd have to attempt that. I'd have to try that river crossing and get to the, you know, get to Butler's Gorge because there's a chance the weather's not going to clear up. Yeah. Uh, I acknowledge this, you know, and I thought that would be my only course of action if I didn't have an EPIRB because you could you couldn't stay put with the hope, you know. Yeah. Um, what sort yeah, of a the, river crossing are we talking about there? Well, I didn't see it because. Um, I didn't go down there, but yeah, looking okay. at the map, looking at the map, you'd be looking at you know a, a stream at, after that much rain, at least waist deep, yep. but flowing fast and lots of lots of logs down because at that point the Gordon River is still quite narrow. It's more like a gully, you know, and, and a stream than a river. Right. And so what you're probably talking about is lots of strainers, lots of trees down across that you can get yep. sucked under. Yep. Lots of fast flowing cold water. Um, not in, you know, something that can sweep you off your feet or something that you have to swim. Yeah. Um, yeah, just lots of objective risk basically. So I thought, absolutely. so that's when I made the call. I said, well, because I have an EPIRB, I'm going to stay put and I'm going to wait and hope that the weather clears up. And I tried to cover ground a couple of the days, absolutely no avail, you know, covered like two Ks in six hours, got really cold, like really cold. And I was just like, you know what, this is not worth it. I'm just going to sit and wait. And the weather didn't change and I ran out of food. I rationed, you know, three remaining days last me, six days. On that sixth day, I've been on that section for 15 days. Wow. Um, so it stretched 12 days of food for 15 days and I was broken. I was broken. My hands were cold. Um, I felt like a tiny little drop of warmth in a vast cold ocean, you know, sitting on that ridge line up there. And so that's when I decided that morning, I was like, you know what, it's still three days to the road from here. I'm wet, I'm cold, like, I just, I'm just, i just not up for this anymore. Like, I don't think I can get out, you know, safely on my own. Yep. Um, and so that's when I called for help. And I thought, well, is this reasonable? Like, you know, having looked at some of the rescues that have happened in Tassie the last few years, um, I really think, you know, people, like, it's funny coming from me, but, like, there's been some helicopter rescues that just shouldn't have happened, you know. Yeah. And I thought, is it reasonable? And I have definitely have a sense of guilt about it, you know, in the sense that I don't know if I – I think I would have gone out on my own if I didn't call for help. Um, but I had enough doubt that I thought, you know what, you know, because my mum said to me before the trip, she's like, just make sure that you just don't do it, you know, at all costs. And I said, all right, mum, I promise. So that's, that, that's what I had in the back of my mind. I was like, you know what, I'd rather just get out and do another trip than, you know, make this one the last one. Um, so then, yeah, I pushed the button. And then three hours later, yeah, I heard a helicopter, but, sitting in the cloud, you know, they couldn't land. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to have to pack up camp and get out of the cloud. So then um, did that and walked down far enough on the ridge just to be out of the cloud. And sure enough, they found me because once you've got your transmitter, you know, it's yep. transmitting so they can follow you even if you're moving. So then they came, they flew straight at me. And I saw this helicopter just like materialize out of the mist. And at this point, you know, I've been out there on my own for 15 days and it was day 50 of my trip. Wow. So... Yeah, but, like, it's been 15 days since I've seen anyone. And um, I'm just looking at this helicopter going, fuck, this is a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and so then anyways, the, the, then the copper wraps out of the helicopter with the pack and he comes up to me and he's like, all right, this is what we'll do. The heli will come in, it will hover and then you'll get on, we'll pass the packs up and then I'll get on and then we'll take off. I was like, all right, sweet. So we did that. So the helicopter came and it couldn't land. So it just hovered about a meter above the ground and it kind of half pulled, you know, I kind of half climbed up, they half pulled me up. And then the packs and then the police officer and then we took off with the door open still, you know, and within 30 seconds we were out of the clouds and everywhere else was blue sky except the top of the King William range. Wow. And they were like, so what happened? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, fuck, you're not going to believe this. Yeah. And uh, like they they were all cool with it. I think my story has raised a few eyebrows in the bushwalking community. Yeah. But ultimately, I'm I'm happy with my decision, and and I totally like I was so grateful for that service, you know, that they provided. Yep. Um, and you know, I had a chat to the to the head sergeant, Damien Biddy, you know, he, he his mates called him, and you know, he was okay with with it. Like he didn't give me a hard time. No, that's um, good. He just asked me to tell them what happened, and I told them, and you know, and at the end of the day, I was like, look, I underestimated the weather. I didn't realize that. A storm at that time of year it lasted for nine days i was in the clouds yeah didn't see the sun for nine days um this is in late may last year yeah hmm. and, um, and and it's not you know, knowing as well like you don't know it, it could break in two hours it could break in another two weeks you don't know I, I had a sense that the weather was lifting so the next three days were clear um because the wind had stopped by that point but it it, it stopped a bit too late i was a broken man by the yeah. time it stopped and um, the, the funny thing was, so anyway, so they, we've got flown out and this was about halfway point of my trip. I got put down at uh, Derwin Bridge and that's Lake Sinclair National Park and, and that was where my next food drop was. Uh, <laughs> and so I said to the guys, I was like, well, um, thanks very much. Is there any chance you could leave me here? And I'm going to continue my trip. So um, they said, yeah, no worries. Um Blah, blah, blah. And, and I told them, I was like, look, after that, I'm not going to go across the Elden Range because that was my next mountain range to traverse. And that would have been probably the most difficult section of the trip overall. Even more difficult. And, yeah, more more technical than the King William Range. Wow. And, and you know, in the end, the, the weather I got the next two weeks, it would have been fine, I think. But at that time, I just thought, fuck, I can't get rescued no, twice on the be, same trip. And you'd be a bit, <laughs> bit shaken as well. Mm. But without sounding condescending, uh, fully um, yeah, good for you for hitting the button, mate. You're here now telling us this story, maybe because you hit that button. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it must well, have been Well, we may tough. never know. We'll, we'll never know. And that's fine by me, mate, because you're here and that's good and your mum's happy and that's good. So I, I don't think it really matters, but... I've heard of people hitting buttons for sprained ankles and stuff, mate, so it wouldn't be too hard on yourself. And I I don't like to hear that um, earlier comment that it's raised a few eyebrows in the bushwalking community. That doesn't doesn't please me to think that that, um, people with similar passions to us um, are questioning anything at all because knowing what you've accomplished previously i think that's a bit slack for anyone to to um kind of question that and bottom line is mate everyone has different points at which they would push the button and as you said earlier you don't know until you do it Mm. i think it's hard to judge you know until you're in that same position which you know you can never no and i don't think it's fair i don't think it's fair to judge yeah yeah 
So, yeah, good on you, mate. I'm yeah, glad you're here to tell 100%, us about it. 100%. Thanks for sharing that story, mate. I really appreciate hearing that. That would have been a crazy time up on that ridge for sure. And, yeah. I was, well, yeah. six days, you know, just sitting around. Um, I remember I was reading The Rock Warrior's Way um, on my Kindle, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is a book that combines Zen Buddhism with rock climbing, you know, like instructive right. in an instructive well, way. Well, you obviously had so, some, some mental injuries then anyway, so that was... <laughs> Um, you know, I, yeah, I'm with Tom. I'm glad that you pushed the button so you're you're alive to tell the story, mate. That's what it's all about, I reckon, you know. Well, you got to return, you know, that's an essential part of the trip. Not always a favourite part, but returning yeah. from a trip is an essential uh, requirement for me because I like going on trips, so I want to keep doing them. Yeah, I think it's important too to share to share your trips and, and you do that quite well through your photography and and through your writing which is spectacular very captivating and that's what's spurring other people on you know i've read the comments at the bottom of your blog entries and people are just inspired mate and that's you know i think that's part of our job i say our job collectively us people who spend a lot of time in the wilderness i think it's part of our job to expose other people to it introduce them to it and and inspire them to want to get out there on their own well that's right like yeah for me it's about inspiring people and inspiring a respect for these places in people um of you know treating them right and not only following minimal impact codes when you're out there but also thinking about your lifestyle choices when you come back and how they might impact on these areas that you like to visit um, you know, in Tasmania, um, a changing fire regime is endangering a lot of these ecosystems that have survived because it is wetter and colder down here yeah. than other places. And so, you know, our collective lifestyle is driving that change. And so then you've got to ask yourself the honest question when you return is, what am I doing personally that is leading to an impact on these areas? Not just the time that I spend out there, but then also my day-to-day decisions that I make every day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you know, sharing sharing the trip—it's such an essential part to me, you know, of communicating. Because people ask me, you know, you know, how do you not go crazy out there, or you know, how do you how do you keep, you know? And so it's just this total lack of familiarity yeah. with the kind of. Um, terrain, I suppose, you know. Well, the, I think the, they, they don't realise you were already crazy before you went out there either, <laughs> in their defence. Well, that's right, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe I get a little bit more sane every time I go out there. I think that's how I look at it. But, um, yeah, so I do I do have an exhibition coming up in Hobart with my photographs from this trip that I did last year. Fantastic. Um, and so that's, you know, that's something that, that is important to me is to get people in the same space like you know the cradle mountain film festival it you know it acts as a hub where people can come together share stories yeah and meet face to face and look at you know like actually physically look at some prints you know some pictures rather than just scrolling past on instagram and yeah. facebook yeah. and you know just having a quick glimpse you have that experience of going to an event meeting other people and also hearing the story and then seeing you know the artworks that are being produced yeah. as a result of that trip that's a really good point, mate. I, and I would say that I've been to other film festivals before, but I've never been to an adventure film festival, and I've never been to one so quaint and and small and and specific. And I have to say that 
I 100% agree that it's the people behind the photos and the adventures that have left a lasting impression on me. I mean, look, we're talking to you now. It's a direct result of us going to that film festival, catching the end of your talk, and then you walking into that yurt. When you walked into that yurt, we were having a conversation with, um, was it Paul Pritchard? Mm. Yep. Uh, top bloke, you know, and we're, we're communicating with him, just trying to line something up with him as well. And, um, you know, later on we were talking to Stephen Forsyth, for, oh, he has an interesting, Fordyth, I think is his mm. surname. Um, he was the um, cave diver. Oh, and, Yeah, so I've kept in touch with him. Absolutely salt-of-the-earth guy. Top bloke. Kept in touch with him. We really want to talk to him as well. And since... So we watched his talk because uh, it was straight after the one I did or straight before, I think. And then we... Um, you know, I've kept in touch with him. And since that um, film festival, one of the things he was talking about was maybe one day they'd be able to connect up to to existing mapped tunnels. Mm. And since that film festival, he actually did it. And oh, they've done it? Yeah, they did it. Yeah, yeah. They, they connected the little gap that was missing in the middle. Like it got on the news and everything. I mean, he was part of that team. And um, yeah, I sent him a message and said, well done, mate. Congrats. And yeah, he, he's really humble. He's saying, oh, no, it was a team effort. I, I just happened to be there. But yeah, it's it's cool. Yeah, we were really impressed with that film, eh? That was such a good Aussie film. It was a very, very good film. Uh, that uh, Did you catch that one at all, Andy? Oh, I missed I miss that one. But I've heard about this project from various cavers. And if it's the one I've heard about, it's really impressive what they've done. The, um, not not which, only you know, what the they depth. did, mate, but the... the um, because it's like the young. way they say it, the way Stephen says it, and and I think it was Fraser was the guy who, who filmed it and, and edited yep. it. But the way they talk about it is, caving in Tasmania is just a blip on the radar, a tiny blip on the radar of world caving. So the depths aren't as deep, the lengths aren't as long, but it, that doesn't matter because it is what it is, and I think that it's something pretty spectacular for Tasmania and for Australia and. So I don't think that should take away from what they've accomplished down there. It's pretty pretty full on. Oh, like what those yeah, what those guys did, like um in terms of places that most people never want to go, like oh, yeah, that's top pe- of the list. People's worst nightmares <laughs> are what these guys do, and I'm not even exaggerating that. Like it is horrific. We the, oh, you you've really got to find a way to watch to to find that film and watch it. Yeah. Because yeah, okay. The storytelling, the way that Fraser and the team captured it, put it together, it was quite literally, I'd say, without exaggerating, I think it was the best film I saw on the entire weekend. And I'm comparing, wow. yeah, and I'm comparing that to the cool. mountain film festival that we went to on the following night and watched all of the stuff from around mm-hmm. the world and the US. So big call, I know, but the story and the journey was, I mean, would you agree with yeah. what I'm saying, Craig? Yeah, the production value was first class. It was up there, mate. And it I don't think that was on. the feature length of what they are going to put out. I think that was a edit. I think it's a, a film festival edit. length. Yeah. And it was really good. It was really worth a watch. The whole thing was spectacular. Yeah, yeah. Top stuff, mate. But yeah, sorry, getting back to your original point that 
meeting the people behind these adventures um, was one of the highlights for me. And maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe just to pause there. Um, I think if any of our listeners look you up, Andy, the first thing they're going to notice is some of your fantastic uh, photos, mate. I want to give you a big plug on how how good it is to see them. They are spectacular, mate. Is it, and, and you know that's a, one of your big drivers, isn't it, to get out there and take photos? Well, that's right, you know, because it's. I think about how do I translate that experience, you know, how do I tell people about what I'll go through on my trips, you know, so that I can I can share that, you know, because for me, my trips, you know, they're they're my essence, you know, they're what I live for. Do you carry so to be able to? Do you carry a lot of gear, uh, camera? Gear? Um, well, yeah. So I've recently um, trimmed down my kit because my camera broke. Um, so now I use a smaller camera that's a lot older than the previous one. So I've been shooting on digital yeah, the last five years and on one of my last trips, yeah, I finally corked it. And this camera, it looks like it's been through the washing machine and it <laughs> literally has a number of times and it's knocked off and knocked about. And anyway, so I just thought, well, rest in peace, old Olympus. Um, you have done your duty. Um, and basically I got a, an old camera, an old Pentax MX that was made in Japan in the 70s. Um, so we're talking a film camera, like no electronics, no batteries. You just wind it up and you push, push the button and there's a spring and the shutter close, you know, opens and then, and then you roll up the film and I fucking love it. It's like the best camera. It's so good because it doesn't need any batteries and it's lightweight and bomb proof. This thing's 40 years old. It's like nearly, you know, it's older than me and it takes a really nice photo, you know, on the film. Um, but yeah, it's tricky, you know, these days because you can't actually, it's hard to find someone to get it printed directly yeah. from the film. 100%. So it's got to be digitalized first. So then I'm at the moment, you know, my big dilemma is figuring out how, where I'm going to find the place that can print from a negative film mm. directly onto, you know, a photographic print. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Without digitalizing it and, you know, pixelating it because that's kind of the whole point is you get rid of that, that digital process, you know? Yeah. Look, um, I, think, I think you'd have more luck. If you were, say, in, in Melbourne or, or Sydney or Brisbane, yeah. but, um, I, yeah, you, I think you're going to struggle down there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone in Tassie does it. But, yeah, so that's the kind of, you know, just it's the same idea of, of, of trimming down your kit, you know, when you're a hyper mm. or an outdoors person, is you figure out, you know, the most efficient way of doing something. And I just want to be able to have a camera out there that's small, that's compact, that takes a nice photo and something that's simple, something that doesn't need, you know, a whole lot of stuff. It can get knocked about a little bit because, you know, these trips that I go on, yeah, things get knocked about a bit sometimes, you know? Yeah. Well, if you're rolling your pack off at the edge of cliffs, that's going to happen. Wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, you just got to gotta take something that can take a bit of damage. But the photos, yeah, like I really live for them. And for me, it's a way of getting to know the place because it's, you know, it's often you're waiting, you're waiting for the light. We're waiting for the conditions, you know, and, and you're out there for a long time waiting. Mm. Um, in fact, there's this old photographer's adage that says, you know, the landscape photographer is, is standing on this hill with his tripod set up and he's standing by his camera. And um, this walker, you know, happens to be walking past and goes up to the photographer and says, oh, good day, Mr. Photographer, what are you doing? And the photographer says to the walker, he says, oh, good day, Mr. Walker, I'm waiting. And the walker says, well, what are you waiting for? And the photographer says, well, I'm not quite sure. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so it's that thing of, you know, you, you we and Dombrovsky is, you know, one of the famous Tassie wilderness photographers of the last, you know, couple of generations. He was famous for, for going to a place and just sitting there and just waiting for days as long as it took until the light was right, until the landscape revealed that inner element that, you know, that showcases it, that, that kind of shows an aspect of it that you don't see every day. That's a special moment, you know, and the only way to do that is to is to be to to intercept it to to anticipate it to be there you know to be there and with your camera ready and so uh, you know 90 percent of is is just being there at the right time with your camera you know yeah ready to take the photo and then you know the rest yeah should just kind of fall into place really it's a pretty zen approach actually mm. i think setting yourself up in the right place and then basically if you're in the right place then it's only a matter of time before you're there at the right time i guess yeah but then yeah the question is how long have you got to wait and how much food <laughs> have you got left yeah. yeah oh that's awesome mate oh yeah i love the passion for photography and um we'll most certainly be um putting all the links to all of you um websites and instagram and everything in the show notes um so that people can easily jump in there and find their way around uh because yeah we do want to share all of that uh also well, to, to the um the film? winter blade film as well is that something pretty well look that'd be great you know if, if if yeah if you can you know help out with that but then also for, pe- for those people that are in tassie you know in hobart yeah this exhibition opening is next friday night on the 16th of august Ooh, um, right. we the... better, better get cracking and get this episode out <laughs> Um, oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's right. I wasn't quite sure when you guys were going to put it up. So, but yeah, um, yeah. So, anyways, well, you know, for me, that's that's kind of nice, and just see what happens after that. Um, you know, the last year it's just been recovery from my last trip. You know, so it'd be nice once the exhibition's wrapped up. You know, that's kind of the completion of that project. Yep. That I can kind of take a breath and yeah, think about the next one. <laughs> what What is that? Oh, the next one's a secret one. I can't tell you. Sorry. It, it, does it exist in your imagination yet? Oh, it's very real. It's happening. Oh wow, Ooh. this is great. I love it. Ooh. Then, I, then, um, can we make a a date that, uh, however long it takes, that we get back on this podcast and hear all about that sometime in the future? Well, yeah, it'll probably be next year then. Oh, yeah, um, no, I understand. It, c- considering uh, yeah. you, you spend years planning stuff, I'm, I'm not expecting to talk to you next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see how long this one takes, but it shouldn't take that long. Um, but I've said that before. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, I want to kind of... Um, I, I've been identifying a theme through some of the stories you've been telling us and some little some little nuggets of wisdom and certain things that you've been saying. And I want to kind of put it to you and put this question to you and see if you've asked yourself this question or if you've actually looked at yourself and, and realized this is happening. But when you say things like you didn't want to take an EPIRB to feel what it was like, you did a section of the... Um, trail specifically without gps and phone you just wanted to use a compass um it feels to me like there's there's some kind of longing to really get to the edge of that 
fear or to find some limit that you're still struggling to to come to terms with it it sounds to me like you're not quite you're not quite there yet would that be correct? no like I, I feel like in a lot of ways i thought you know the tassie traverse would be the trip where i kind of earned my stripes in a bit in a way you know in, in, as a bushwalker um and the fact that i kind of needed assistance on that trip it just you know it just it just told me that there's a bit more that i need to learn still Yep. So, you know, for me, I guess, as as an outdoors, you know, as a wilderness um, traveler in Tassie, um, you know, I'm I'm interested in Tassie. Like, I'm interested in, in the landscapes here, and I want to get to know them in a way that I can access anywhere in Tassie. I can, I can go anywhere in Tassie, whether that's a wild mountaintop or whether that's, you know, deep down in a cave or whether it's down a wild river. I want to be able to get to these places just with a compass. So, you know, my lifetime is going to be dedica- dedicated to getting to know the landscapes well enough that eventually I can venture anywhere without a map to the point where I just get to know the lands. This is, you know, this is what I'm aiming to do. And the only way to do it is to spend time out there. And so, you know, it's kind of like as you gain skills in the discipline, whatever it is, you need less and less stuff to help you along your way. So when you start out, you think, I'm going to get all this stuff, you know, I'm going to buy a new tent, I'm going to buy a new stove, and once I've got that equipment, I'm going to be able to do these things. And what you slowly realize is that it's your skills that really keep you alive out there. You know, it's your knowledge, it's your experience. And sure, there's, you know, you do need the gear in certain scenarios because you just, there's no other way. Mm -hmm. But then knowing how to use that and learning, you know, ways of trimming down on your kit so that you're not necessarily taking as many things um, so, you know, such things as a GPS or such things as, you know, spare food and, you know, you know, you're really committing yourself to just being able to navigate and cover ground, um, you know, within a certain time frame, um, and just knowing, you know, having the confidence in your abilities to, to know that you're capable of these things and doing them consistently. Um, and what this builds is this builds a relationship with your landscape and a trust of it. You know, you go from viewing it as a as a nemesis, as a as an enemy that you need to a foe that you need to defeat, and you and you and you feel like you've arrived home, somewhere yeah. where you're comfortable, somewhere that's beautiful and inspiring, and somewhere where you're just happy to spend time. Yeah, taking it all in. One of my favourite ways to look at the wilderness or Mother Nature or however you want to frame it is that. When you enter the wilderness, Mother Nature doesn't give a shit whether you live, <laughs> you die, you have a good time, you have a bad time. You it it doesn't care whether you have the experience of your life or you don't. She doesn't care. She's just there doing what she does, and you're the one that needs to extract what you need to from that. Hmm. Well, yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, the mountains couldn't care less if you were there or not. Um, but, you know, um, you care about the mountains. That's why you go out there. So then you just got to phrase the argument in an acceptable way that's not going to kill you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's one of those things like when you're out there, it's just so amazing, you know. And so I guess, yeah, what I want to get out of it is, is you know, eventually get to a point where, I can rely on my skill set, you know, in a way that 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 I that I trust it, you know, that I know um, I can go out there and be on my own and and you know go anywhere, 
uh, challenging and and have the skills that that to have the confidence that I can deal with whatever is going to come up. Um, and in that process, you know, you just get you know the only way to do it is to is to anticipate what's going to happen next. You know, like when you when you're following uh, you know a reach line where you can't see ahead, you're in a scrub. You know, you just got to have a sense for which way to go. Yeah, and it's and it's not necessarily anything. Um, obvious, you know, often it'd be a very subtle little thing that will tell you, oh, I'm a bit too high, I've got to drop down, or, oh, there's a, you know, there's going to be a creek if I go down this way, or I'm going to find shelter, or there's going to be less scrubby this way. And these are all little things that you tune into the more time you spend out there. And that's, you know, that's that's what gives you the confidence to go off track is because you can read the landscape yep. um, and recognize those little things, yeah, which at first, you know, you just – go barging through and you end up in the thick of the scrub and you're like, how the fuck did I end up here? Um, and now I'm stuck in it and then got to get out. And then later, you know, you go, Oh, I'm not going to go into that thicket. That looks bad, you know? And then you go around and then you go, Oh, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> Is this where your little mantra stemmed from? Everything you just said there folds pretty nicely into that little tagline on your website that says, know the wild, know yourself. Well, that sums it up, you know. It's kind of like you spend time out there and you get to know the place, but through that process of, um, well, I don't know what you want to call it, um, just, you know, um, getting lost and then finding yourself, um, you know, you grow as a person and, and you and you get, to, you know, you don't know how you're going to act until you find that edge. Yeah, finding that edge to me is so important of that edge where, you know, I define it as putting yourself in a situation where your life depends on the decisions that you make. Yep. And that's, that's when it kicks home, you know. That's when you actually focus. That's when you draw that attention in and you pinpoint it to a very sharp focus and you apply it. Um, you know, you, you, you put yourself in a position where, you, where you've got to have your, a level head, you know, where you've got to be like, all right, there's a situation here and I've got to get myself out of here. And that's that process you know, you, you can't simulate it. You've got to put yourself in it. You know, you've got to plunge. You've got to plunge into it. Um, you know, it's like rock climbing. You might be on a cliff and you've got a move ahead of you that you you don't know if you can do. And you just got to do it because that's the only way to go through is to do it. And when after you've done it, you think, fuck, I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> and so then you think, well, what else can I do? <laughs> yeah. Mate, I don't think I could have uh, wrapped the podcast up any better than you just did. To be honest, <laughs> Craig, is is there anything you want to you want to say before I um, oh. let uh, Andy get back to his cup of tea and warm bed? Mm. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Andy. Thanks for coming and chatting to us. Um, uh, yeah, eighty-four days in the wilderness. I think you've definitely earned your stripes, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're pretty hard on yourself, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been great to hear about your mindset and your passion, mate, and just wanting to be out there in the wild. I think I think you're a legend. Good yeah, yeah, mate. It absolutely fantastic. Well, that's not even summing it up. There's, there's got to be a bigger word than that. <laughs> Talking to you has mostly been a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, and, and it's inspired me and I know that people are listening. It's just going to blow their minds. Um, yeah. Yeah, good on you, mate, for sharing your time with us as well. I really appreciate it, brother. Well, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for chatting to me. And, uh, yeah, glad we bumped into each other up at the Creative Mountain Film Fest. Um, and, you know, I mean... Happy adventures. I'm sure there's more to come. 
uh, for all of us and, yeah, for the listeners involved. And that's it, you know, just get out there and do it and respect the places you're going to. And and that's, you know, to me is becoming, you know, the kind of key driving theme of this century is, um, you know, we're very good at taking, but we've got to start giving something back. And, you know, by having these conversations and connecting with other outdoors people, um, you know, I think you can bring back that connection to nature that is really missing now in the big cities. Um, so, you know, keep doing the good work that you're doing and, um, yeah, it was really good chatting to you. Yeah, thanks, mate. Appreciate that. We will talk to you again and we will probably see you again. I don't know if we'll accompany you on a hike, especially <laughs> especially if you're planning it, but uh, we might just catch you, catch up for a beer or something, mate. <laughs> yeah. no, you got to go on the walk before you get to have the beer. That's how it works, isn't it? Yeah, all right. We'll do our walk. We'll meet you at the end of your walk. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll walk down to the pub, all right? <laughs> Sounds good. All right, mate. Take care of yourself, fella. Thank you very much. All right, thanks. Thanks, thanks fellas. Catch ya. See you, Have mate. a good one. Bye-bye. Ciao. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, we'd really appreciate your ratings and comments if you can spare the time. If you'd like to know more about Hike or Die TV and keep track of our adventures around Australia, make sure you drop by hikeordie.com. That's where you'll find all the information you'll need to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or Pinterest. As always, we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.